sorry, Kath, have you, you finished, have you? Yes. Well, I was just chatting to political reporter Paul Scoins oh. about the next story. There's nothing in the news bin. Okay, I'll, I'll, we, we finished now anyway, so. Good. Ta. We weren't chatting about the next story at all. Oh dear. Morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I should warn you now, there's something impish in the air. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the presence of Paul Scoyne's political report. I don't know what's going on, but there's something in the air. Fairy dust, perhaps, and we're all feeling a little bit naughty. And so, you know, what I'm saying is, today's show might be rubbish. I don't know. It won't be. It'll be excellent, because we have lots of good stuff to talk about, including... Well, this isn't good, necessarily. Hertfordshire Police announced job losses, and it's all because they don't want to raise council tax. Now, here's a question. Would you be happy to pay more money for more officers? Laws to tackle aggressive bailiffs will be introduced next year. I'll tell you what they are in half an hour. And I'm I'm confused about this one. How much sympathy do you have for people who get into debt, or are you more sympathetic to the bailiffs? And it's the semi-finals of my new favourite TV show of all time, Splash, this weekend. It's being filmed in Luton. And apparently, interest in diving has gone through the roof, it says here. I should have anticipated that. Uh, our diving correspondent, Justin Dealey, will be at the Inspire Sports Centre this morning to tell us exactly what's going on. See, why would you want to go and listen to another radio station when we, I'm, I'm literally pouring gold through your car speakers? You can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can send us a text, but I'm not going to tell you how to. Or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 60 Hertfordshire police officers and 78 backroom staff look likely to lose their jobs as part of an efficiency savings package that was agreed last night. The Commissioner defended freezing council tax and instead reducing police numbers. Well, Paul Scoynes, our political reporter, you were at the meeting mm. last night. What, what are the headlines? Well, uh, the, what was decided last night was to set the council tax as frozen. So what David Lloyd, as the Commissioner, can do is he can... And, and he, ca- he campaigned on it in his, uh, mm. in his campaign for the election and in, you questioned him about and he said that he wanted to keep it frozen, which meant that uh, that he would have to make the savings that he needed to make elsewhere. And what he's going to have to do is is put at least part of those savings into officer reductions, and that's going to be 60 officers in the next year, uh, and a further 76 posts in the force as well, so that those other people who work in the other areas of the force, not sort of who are not police officers, will also lose their jobs as well. Um, so that's 6.3 million savings in the next year. They're going to take uh, 1.8 million from uh, sort of non-operational areas like the back office and estate properties as well, uh, and th- things like reduced investigations, because what he was saying was... Reduced investigations. Yes, there's a clip of him in just a second, which which explains sort of what his view is on that. But basically, because crime has fallen, according to uh, the National Crime yeah. Survey, uh, he says that you need fewer officers to deal with it because there's not as much uh, crime around. Now, he, he made this interesting comparison about uh, supermarkets. And if a supermarket was doing 40% fewer uh, sort of sales in its yes. supermarkets, you certainly wouldn't keep that many staff in there because they wouldn't need to have that many people to serve. Them. Is there a possibility that the number of crimes go- is going down because we have 
the number of police officers that we have? Well, there is a... There, there, I mean, we, we, we heard yesterday from the Office of National Statistics uh, that there was a sort of a, 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 a drop in recorded crime that might actually be overstated, and that could be because they were uh, looking at sort of changing the way that they interpreted figures because okay, they let's, to meet we'll, targets. We'll, we get, to, we'll get to the statistics in a minute. Tell me more about the, the, these cuts, because it's not all cuts. New posts are being created, aren't That's they? right, yeah, no. I mean, the thought the, the, the line is that this council tax is going to be frozen. So let's just look at the other areas we've mm. got as well. So we've got Bedfordshire, where they're looking, we've heard just yesterday, this hasn't been announced yet, so uh, my colleagues at uh, BBC Lucas as well, we've been working on this together, and uh, we can say that there's going to be a 2% rise, or that's what Ollie Martin's the police commissioner... In there, the council tax. In the council right. tax precept. So that yeah. doesn't mean that the whole council tax will rise, but his, mo- his bit that he's allowed to rise, rise himself is going to rise by 2%. Okay. And the same in Thames Valley as well. So of our forces, David Lloyd is the only commissioner who wants to keep it frozen, right. and he kind of had it to, because he campaigned on it. Yeah. Um, now, what that means that technically could do is rise it, but that would be £5 a year. And the question is, do you want to pay £5 a year to have that extra force capacity to be able to have those officers perhaps to spend that extra bit of money? It would equate to around £1.3 million that he's technically losing out on. Uh, now, we did speak to David Lloyd about this last night, about the fact that he was losing these officers. Um, he says that he is bringing in more officers so there's 19 extra posts that he's creating he says there's not going to be a drop in the front line there's six extra front line officers if you like uh, this is what he told me last night about why he was doing that what we're doing is managing i think the, uh, the the chief constable uses the term controlled descent we're taking some officers out but we're not putting people at risk now, you say controlled dissent, the police federation say that's salami slicing, and what they say is that the morale of officers could be damaged because already they're stressed, they're feeling overworked. You can only cut so far, can't you? And this controlled dissent does seem to suggest that there'll be more in future years. Yes, I mean, I think that what we have to show is proper leadership. I very much uh, listen to what the federation say. I recognise that uh, there is stress in all parts of society, including frontline of police. But actually, we are in a position currently um, within the country where we are having to make cutbacks and we're having to make cutbacks um, because of the financial situation that we're in. This is just one part of that. It happens in all parts of society and we can't keep police outside of what's happening in society. Now, these figures that you alluded to, the national crime figures, there there is some doubt about them, isn't there? He's saying that they're they're down. Well, he says they're down and he says that they've been going down for some years he was the old police authority chair right so he said that they uh used you know under his watch has gone down by 40 percent so now the office for national statistics said the rate of reduction in recorded crime may actually overstate the amount that it actually really has gone down in now the they've been going through the data let's just hear from the head of crime statistics there who's john flatley we're not saying the police are fiddling the figures what we're saying is that the data suggests there's some discrepancy in the trends clearly um, pressure to reduce crime and meet targets may have an informal influence on how police uh, approach certain incidents and maybe sway officers to record lower level incidents in categories which don't fall into the crime figures. Now, the Home Office, actually, they, when they responded to that, they said that there's no simple answer to that difference. It's a bit of a statistical anomaly. Well, this was the key thrust of Lloyd's plan to get elected. Did he think the figures were right, that the crime has fallen as much as he claims? Well, as you say, I mean, absolutely. He, he said that the reason he should be elected was that, under his guidance, crime had fallen. This is just what he said last night when reacting to that. I put forward the uh, thought that uh, if... Uh, crime has fallen as it has during uh, my time um, by uh, well over 
uh, 25% uh, since uh, I, I've been involved. And in fact, since 2008, by 40%, we understand. You've got to start wondering whether or not you need exactly the same numbers of people uh, uh, on the front line and in the back office. And so it is right and proper to look at that. Well, th- Paul, thank you very much for that. Later on, we'll be talking to the Commissioner and we'll hear the view of police officers and the former chair of the authority who have concerns about cutting officers. What do you think? Would you rather pay, pay a few quid more in your council tax to maintain the level of coppers or would you like to see the police numbers cut and you save a few quid? I'm blessed. I've never had bailiffs come round. I once had to do a, 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 what do they call it? A moonlight flit. Is that what they call it? From a flat that I was staying in with my friend because A, our landlord was very dodgy. He was this very dodgy man who kept coming round um, and uh, trying to sell us drugs. <laughs> That's always weird when your landlord tries to sell you drugs. I say tries, he was often successful. I'm joking, for goodness sakes. Uh, but he would come around and he would try and sell us drugs and tell us how he was really good friends with Brad Pitt. Okay. Uh, and then we got lots of letters addressed to him and he kept saying, lads, if, if the letters, you know, kind of come to me, just you put them in a pile. I remember he came around once and we had to... Um, we were paying, we had to write the cheques for the rent to his wife, and he came round when he said, oh, I've got some bad news, lads, my wife has died this week, right? But he didn't seem that bothered. And he said, so yeah, we, can I just come round every month and collect the rent in cash? And we're like, okay. And then we saw him run out and jump into a, an open-top car with a really hot blonde girl, right? So, okay, that's fine. And then all these letters kept coming, we thought, you know what, one day, we could, let's open one of these letters. And we did. Uh, and it was from uh, a debt collection company saying, you are way behind in your mortgage repayments, Mr Jones. We're going to start sending the bailiffs round. So that night, we packed up as much of our stuff as we could, and we left. <laughs> we left, and we never went back. Uh, so, but I've, I've been lucky. I've not had bailiffs knocking on my door. But maybe you've had aggressive bailiffs come round. Well, from next year, they're going to be banned from entering your home at night or where only children are present. New safeguards will prevent them from using force to get force against people who owe money. They'll also no longer have free reign to fix their own fees because set fee scales will be brought in. Well, Jason Bailey is the author of the website dealingwithbailiffs.co.uk, which offers advice to people who need help with bailiffs. Morning, Jason. Good morning. Every time I look at that website, I keep wanting to say dating with bailiffs, but it's not. It's dealing with bailiffs. What made you set up the website? It was an incident about six years ago which involved the bailiff calling at my address when I had a flat in Surrey. And uh, the bailiff has actually come up the fire escape at six o'clock in the morning uh, enforcing a parking ticket, which, uh, which wasn't in my name. But um, we decided to, to, to call the police. Um, the reaction we got from the police was, should have paid your bill. Oh. And I thought, well, hold on a minute. Um, this isn't in my parking ticket. So uh, we were told to pay the bailiff uh, and let him leave. But what my concern was, that he'd used such force, he'd damaged the door to the fire escape. Um, he had actually caused injury to my partner, who had originally opened the door, by forcing the door onto her foot and hospitalised her with a fifth uh, metatarsal on her foot, mm. and had overcharged us with fees. So I complained to the police uh, under the Criminal, Ev- uh, the, uh, Criminal Damage Act yes. for the door, uh, the Offence Against a Person Act for her injury to her foot, and the Fraud Act for the, the fee fraud. But the police said it was a civil matter. So I decided to investigate. Oh. Um, the inquiries I got was, um, the attitude was, should have paid your bill. And I thought, well, this isn't my bill anyway. So I went to, the, uh, to my MP. Uh, the attitude from him was, it's, it's not really our problem. There's no agency to deal with it. So this made a gap for an inquiry to, uh, for me to, to um, uh, drag it through the courts. How, how common is it, Jason, for uh, bailiffs to come round uh, and they're looking for the wrong person? Well, we 
you get it all the time, but getting the wrong person isn't as common as other faults we have with bailiffs. Go on, what other things have you heard? The, the biggest problem with bailiffs is what you mentioned, people calling on households who, who are vulnerable. Um, the vulnerabilities are women who live on their own, who are pregnant, unwell, or living on their own with young children. Six single pregnant mothers, yes. Yes, and these are the most vulnerable people, and they're the biggest group that complain to me uh, about the use of bailiffs. No, I've, I've never had bailiffs, Jason. I've been, I've been blessed in that respect. Uh, are they aggressive? Not really now, but not since um, they've been exposed, because they've been trained to be calm and, and polite, but they tend to focus on fee fraud, and the biggest complaint now is fee fraud, taking advantage of people who are less informed of the legislation which governs the charging of fees, and this is where they're making their money. Um, is by charging for work they haven't done. But Jason, if, 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 if fee fraud, to, to, to put that to one side, if people haven't paid money that's owed, then that's their problem, isn't it? They, then they should expect the bailiffs to come round. The, the problems we get aren't people who have got money owed. They've been to Citizens Advice and other official government agencies who have, uh, investig- who have not investigated the true cause of the debt. Council tax is the biggest um, problem with bailiffs, and we find that it's not because they haven't paid their bill, it's because there's an error in the administration of the original debt. Now, the government wants to introduce uh, uh, regulation uh, on this, including setting set fees and things like that. Is is that going to work? What do you think of these measures? Right. Well, the the regulations is the Crime and Courts Act, which uh, is currently a bill going through Parliament at the moment. Um, the only problem with it is um, it wants to introduce uh, what uh, is in the Tribunal's Courts and Enforcement Act 2007 uh, and any 2012 consequential amendments which sets out rules on what bailiffs can and cannot do. Um, it also proposes to introduce a new regulator called the Bailiffs and Enforcement Agents Council. Now, the problem with the bill is very silent on what statutory powers this regulator is going to have because for any regulation to work, it must be either a government unit or a, go- or a body having statutory powers, much like what the Financial Services Authority is, and its functions must include the licensing of bailiffs, it must approve businesses and organisations that employ them, accredit professional bodies that represent them, it must also set the standards of conduct, monitor their performance, investigate complaints, and punish failure for, uh, for failure to comply with those regulations and order redress where appropriate. But that is all absent in these new regulations. All it's going to do is going to set yet more guidelines. But that's what happened seven years ago. Jason, listen, we have to end it there. Jason Bailey, thank you very much. Uh, Author of the website dealingwithbailiffs.co.uk. He's not happy with the changes. says we need more. What do you think? Have you had bailiffs come round? What were they like? You see them on the telly. They're always big, skin-headed lads with puffer jackets and tats. I would find that quite intimidating if a gentleman like that knocks on my door and asks for some cash. And I don't know what the rules are. Isn't there a rule that if there's an open window, they're allowed to climb through it? Is that true? Or is that a myth? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here we go, something. Page 31 of the Sun, which is, uh, really, I'm, I'm just not even bothering. The front page of the Sun, look. Shardcore porn. Secret sex atop of UK's tallest building. Then there's a picture of, of uh, Jord
everyone has turned against the ball boy now. That was me. I started that. I, I pointed out that he was an idiot. Anyway, page 31 of the sum. Rev Bash. La- this doesn't even make sense. Rev Bash last jailed. A woman was jailed yesterday for hitting a vicar in a row over her drunken swearing. Sharon Thornton, 39, admitted assaulting the unnamed clergyman. She also smashed his glasses and mobile phone with which he tried to film the attack. So basically, this woman's effing and jeffing in the street using indoor language in an outdoor setting. And the vicar has gone up to her and said, look, you know, could you, um, could you stop swearing, please? Would you do that? I've done that with people swearing in the street. I don't like swearing in the street. It doesn't I, I think it's awful. I, I used to do it a bit. I think now it's since, since I'm a dad. I remember there were some builders opposite our house. Effing and jeffing. So let us effing this, jeffing that. It was awful. And I was getting from my car to the house, and I, I, I knew that we could have heard it in the house. I'd have been there. I went, Oi, excuse me, lads. Lads, they were older than me. Could you stop swearing so loudly in the street, please? And one of them gave me a really dirty look, uh, the look of death, skunk eyes. Uh, and the other one went, uh, yeah, sorry, mate, we'll, we'll keep it down a bit. Wait, if you saw someone swearing in the street, would you ask them to stop? I've done it before, I've done it with, I've done it with younger people, it's a little bit, normally, I think, people are so surprised that you've said something, that they, um, they're kind of shocked into stopping. Have you done it? Would you do it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. There's someone swearing in the street. I would definitely one hundred percent do it if I was there with my kids, without a shadow of a doubt. Would say, wait, excuse me, could you stop that, please? Uh, would I do it on my own? Uh, yeah, possibly. There's someone swearing in the street. What do you do? Would you say something or would you ignore it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Also, in the next half an hour, do you remember a couple of weeks ago we were laughing at Splash, saying it was rubbish. I know that was before I'd seen it. Now it's my new favourite TV show. It's filmed in Luton, and we should all be proud. It's the semis this weekend. Reporter Justin Daly will be at the Inspire Centre, finding out, finding out why so many people now want to take up diving. Is it because of this show? You've been watching Splash. It's funny, isn't it? We were laughing about it a couple of weeks ago. Said, oh, rubbish. Oh, it's rubbish. Oh, it's awful. Getting people onto... Oh, it's awful. And this is the thing. This is the problem. When you criticise something you haven't seen. And I always try and hold off from doing it, and I didn't in that instance. I then watch Splash. I think it's a cra- I think it's great Saturday night entertainment. It's a bit of fun. It's celebrities pushing themselves and doing something a bit exciting. Sometimes really well. Eddie the Eagle Edwards was a revelation. Sometimes really badly. Then there's some synchronised swimming. It's a great Saturday night entertainment. Well, since it started, apparently more than 200 people have signed up to learn to dive in Luton since the start of the show. Not me. I don't like heights. I'm not that keen on water. I don't mind swimming. I'm not a very strong swimmer, but I, I, no, I wouldn't want to jump into water. I don't like getting water in my ears and my eyes. Don't judge me. Well, Active Luton, which runs the Inspire Sports Village in Stopsley, where the series is filmed, says classes are full with huge waiting lists. The council says it'll be bringing in portable diving boards to meet demand. What? The leader of Luton Borough Council is Hazel Simmons. We've had a, a, a big response to people wanting to sign up to do diving. So for me, that there was a two-pronged issue. One about the, the promotion of Luton as a, a good place. It's not, it's not the place that you see sometimes in the press. And B, uh, that we wanted to get increase our participation in sport. 
So those were the two issues. So one of them, we've already seen a reaction to that, on top of over 9,000 people that have signed up since August. Well, our budgie smuggling correspondent, Justin Dealey, is down at the Inspire <laughs> Sports Village in Stopsy. Morning, Justin. Oh, Ian, that is me. You can probably hear some of the, uh, the, the noise behind me, because in the last few minutes, the portable dressing rooms for the celebrities oh. have just turned up. Um, huge old things. Uh, movie makers written on the side. They're a local company. And as I look into the Olympic pool there, that pool is closed today to the public because effectively what they're doing, in, yeah. they are turning that into a big TV studio. And it looks brilliant on the it telly. It does. It looks absolutely fantastic. I think uh, some people are saying they should mention Luton more. I think they mention it about two times a programme. But it looks great on TV. I was in a pub in Essex the other week with friends of mine. Hello. Uh, <laughs> Go on, this is a start of a story. Go on, yes. And uh, they were talking about Splash and they are saying, oh, have you seen this new TV programme? Oh, d- d- doesn't the pool look great? You know, that's the legacy of the games. I went, Whoa, let me just stop you there. That is not London. That is Luton. In your face, Londonium. Exactly. So it's in Luton. So I'm here at the moment, and uh, all the production crew are here, uh, turning it into Do we, a TV Any idea studio. what celebs we've got this week? Um, we're going to try and find some celebs later on, so leave that one with me. Oh, lovely. They, they, okay. they may be here, they may be not. Okay. Um, we're going to find out that a bit later on. But um, joining me live in the radio car is Graham Kent. He's from Active Luton. Active Luton, they run this facility on behalf of Luton Borough Council. Uh, Graham, first of all, you know my views on the programme, and Ian's as well. Uh, are you a fan of Splash? I'm learning to love it, Justin. <laughs> so the first week wasn't up to your standards then? The first week was uh, was interesting, to say the least. Um, I think they got out of it what they wanted to get out of it, and they got everybody talking about it, which is great. Um, I think as the weeks have gone on, the show's got better. Um, they've introduced more of Tom into the show and the technicalities of diving, and, and we've certainly seen an interest in people asking about that and, and how they can actually get into the programme. I was going to say, let's talk figures and money, because Ian's mentioned a few there in the introduction. This TV programme, Splash, is having a major impact on local people. Yes, it is. Uh, we've had lots of inquiries from, 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 from people who, who want to know how they can get into diving, out of, uh, having watched the programme. And these are people who have never dived before, that they've seen it and thinking, wow, that looks amazing, I can't believe that's local, I want some of that. Yes, yeah, uh, we've, had, we've had people from Hertfordshire looking at it, seeing that it's the programme, wanted to come and talk to us about the facilities, uh, and locals who want to get into diving. And most of those are beginner, beginners who've never tried diving before, but uh, have seen it and want to have a go. Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, still won't tell me how much money they're getting paid uh, for ITV to use these facilities. However, what she did say was that, that that money will be used on new facilities such as portable diving boards. Well, tell us more about that. Oh, yes. We're, we're currently at capacity in terms of the number of diving boards that we've got in there, the number of, we've got 36 different lessons going on in, in, in the programme on there, and we've got two coaches uh, who are working on that. The whole plan, really, for this centre has been to build diving we'd like to see this center as being the national center of excellence for diving Uh, to do that we need to bring more coaches in um, and we've looked at the capacity in there and we need to put some more diving boards in there Mm. because the center is used for lots of different things we can't have them fixed so we're looking at portable units which we can actually bring in in the evening for the lessons and then take them away that means we can put an extra 25 percent capacity onto the lessons which are currently full cracking stuff and just lastly have you met tom daly and as ian mentioned uh, what celebrities might or already be here in Luton <laughs> um, I've seen Tom but I haven't met him he's been so busy on the programme and uh, as have we um, kind of managing the, the, the expectations out of the programme on there so no I haven't spoken to him mm-hmm. um, but I have seen him in the pool and, and around the area um, he's, he's a lovely chap very friendly um, very cheeky chap and uh, uh, looks like he's causing the production crew a bit of a headache actually when he's <laughs> wandering here there and, and what about celebs 
for tomorrow. Have you seen any so far? Haven't seen any here this morning. It's a little bit early on there, but uh, we'll have a look and see if we can find some for and you. who is going to be diving tomorrow? Do we know yet? Um, the production team do know, um, but I'm not going to let that out of the bag yet. Ooh, Justin, it's a secret. I'm it's letting secret. it out of the bag. Yeah, come on, come on. Lin- Linda Barker. Linda Barker, Eddie yeah. the Big stars. Eddie the Eagle. Uh, Eddie the Eagle, yeah, yeah. J- Charlotte Jackson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Omid Right. And Anthony Gogo. Oh, Anthony Gogo. Is he really in it? Yeah, it's the semi-finals. Oh, right. It's the semi-finals. Oh, semi-finals. Yes. Semi-finals. I think he was the one that wore the, the, the very tight red shorts the other week. Right, yeah. Oh, yes. injured. But, but I'll tell you what, Ian, looking behind me now, the yes. crew are here, um, the TV show, I think it is great viewing because anything could happen and those sort of TV shows right up my street. So, yes, it's drawing in the viewers, but also locally, as you heard there from Graham, it's having a massive impact. People are seeing this and they want to get involved. I met Helen Lederer the other day, who was on episode one, and she is absolutely delightful. And I got talking to her about Splash, and she said, I got so much abuse on yeah. Twitter and online about it, it really upset me. But I got yeah. a big fact check, and that's all she well, did she it for. she got a fact check, but if, if over six million people tuned in for the first show, and I think the second show was about five and a half, so, yeah. so, so not a, you know, a big decrease in audience figures. People are watching this programme in their numbers, and for those that don't like it, well, let them have their opinion, but uh, there are plenty out there who do enjoy it. And they know it's filmed here locally in Luton. Oh, Justin. Yes. I can see your old fella. Just tuck that back. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank ah, so I haven't got any grandparents of my own. They're all passed on. I've got both my parents, just. Just hanging in there, but I haven't got grandparents. And I, I, it does make me sad. It does make me a little bit sad. And I'm making sure that my boys make the most of their grandparents. And I didn't do that. But anyway, a few months ago, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I don't know, a while ago, uh, a lady called Eileen called up. And she was fantastic. It was absolutely wonderful and adorable and lovely. And I asked her to be my adoptive nanny. And you said yes, didn't you, Eileen? Yes, I did. How are you, my love? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent, Nanny Eileen. Thank you so much. <laughs> did you, listen, did you have a nice Christmas? Yes, very quiet, but very pleasant. W- what did you get up to? Anything exciting? You can't get up to a lot on your own, unfortunately. Nanny Eileen, were you spending Christmas Day on your own? Yes. <laughs> no, it isn't. No. no. no that's Being f- on your own isn't loneliness. No, it's not, of course. It's what you make of it, isn't it? Of course it is. I feel terrible, though, that I've let my nanny, my only <laughs> surviving nan, Spend Christmas Day on our own. I should have given you a call. <laughs> That's fine. Don't okay. worry. All right. And how are you finding this cold weather, Nan? You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I kind of slightly hibernate. Yeah. Get out in between, but I've got excellent neighbours. And they come round and they take care of you, do they? No, I don't need taking don't, don't, care don't, don't, of. What, a... what, what I meant was <laughs> they come. They come round and you take care of them. <laughs> they keep a, a, a tactful eye on me. Let's put it that way. Now, Nanny Arlene, <laughs> what what shows do you like to listen to on BBC Three Counties? I don't. Uh, I don't have Three Counties Radio. Sorry, what? I what? don't listen to it. What? Hang- um, <laughs> sorry, backfired terribly, hasn't it? So, but, but do, do you listen to my show? I've never heard your show, actually. Right. You are my nan, yeah? Yes, I am. Why would, you, why would you not listen to my show? Because I haven't got the equipment to listen to it what, equi- what equipment do you need? I don't. Sorry? I don't. Do you ha- have you got a radio? Yes. Right, well, that's, that's, the, that's all the equipment you need, Nanny Eileen. I know, but I like being quiet. Oh, bless you. Uh, well, I, I like choosing what I listen to. Um, I, d- I don't need... OK, well, no, that's you, fine. You know, it's... it's I'm an oddity. You, you are an oddity, and that's no. Don't you apologise for, <laughs> for a thing? So you won't have heard BBC introducing on Saturday nights, then, will you? No. Okay. What they do is they get local bands and singers and songwriters and DJs and stuff, and um, they play their music. I've heard you at Rhythms of the World. Oh, have you, hang on a minute. 
Have you been to Rhythms of the World? I go every year. You just said you like your peace and quiet. You go and listen to that nonsense. I choose what I listen to. <laughs> I say that nonsense. We love Rhythms of the World. Of course, you're love it. So you don't have a radio, but you go to Rhythms of the World. Yes. Okay. Right. We're getting somewhere. This is worth pursuing. <laughs> I'm going to play you a song now that was on BBC Introducing. It's performed okay. live on there. It's called Good Looking, and it's by Bo Saunders. Now, are you aware of Bo Saunders' work? No. Okay. I'm going to play it now. Okay. And then when we come afterwards, would you just, just let me know what you think of it? Okay. And, and I want you to be honest, Nanny Eileen. I'm horribly honest. Okay. We, we, <laughs> we've noticed. We've noticed. Okay. So this is from uh, Performed Live, BBC Introducing. This is uh, Bo Saunders. And good looking. Well, N- Nanny Eileen, what did you make of that? I loved it. I've been do- doing a little jig here to that. It's the sort of music you can dance to. Co- I loved her voice. It was clear. It was beautifully in tune. It was simple, easy listening music. I liked it. So she's a bit, you say sim- uh, simple, easy listening. So what, she's a bit like, um, I don't know, uh, um, Jeff Love or Neil Diamond. Or, it's melodic, isn't it? It is, yes. 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 Quite, quite sexy as well. Well, I mean, I, I don't find her sexy, obviously, but... Um, I just meant the I've not seen I don't know the lady has... No, it's, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite romantic, sexy music, oh, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Very much so. So, do you, uh, out of ten, how many would you give that? I'd give it a nine. That is something that I could ha- happily listen to. Okay. Nelly Allen, um, why I've got you on the line... Yes. We're talking about if you saw someone um, swearing in the street... Yes. What, what would you do? Um, well, being an older person, I am very wary. Yeah. Um, because some people's reactions now are out of control. Yes. But I find usually that the look that I would have given children when I was younger um, usually stops it. Just one rather direct look. Oh, yeah, I bet, you've, yeah. I, I bet you've got a look that you could do, Nanny Eileen. Oh, I can. Nanny Eileen, can we, uh, can we speak to you next week about next week's introducing track? Yes, of course you may. Thank you, my love. I like got... talking to you. Oh, I like talking to you, Nanny Eileen. <laughs> Go have a nice cup of tea and I'll speak to you later, love. Uh, Right. Have okay. a good weekend. Bye bye. And you. Bye. Take care. There we go. That that is the show's official grandmother. I may have no living grandparents. I've got Nanny Eileen, and let's just say she's pretty darn good, isn't she? Doesn't listen to the radio. <sighs> Owned. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We are asking you in the light of a vicar that got bashed up by an obnoxious woman. If you saw someone effing and jeffing and using indoor language outdoors in the street, what would you do? I've done it before. I've gone up to people and asked them to stop. Watch your language. And I used to be guilty of it when I was younger. I used to be quite loud and quite sweary in the street. Uh, but I've gone up to people and asked them to stop swearing. Would you do that? Have you done it? And what's the reaction been? I think generally. That, that people would be so shocked by someone saying something that they would kind of stop. I remember once being in the pictures. Oh, I was watching Paranormal Activity. What a load of old guff that was. Oh, a door moved. Oh, spooky. Um, but still, I paid a lot of money for it. It was a cinema in London. And there were these girls in the back. Oh, and they were shouting and talking and swearing and all of this. And someone asked them to be quiet. Would you be quiet, please? Yeah, sorry, mate. And then they were quiet for about five minutes, and they started swearing again. Oh, dear. And so I, and I must admit, I used a swear word. I'm going to censor myself here. But I was polite. I said very loudly, from within the dark of the cinema, Excuse me, girls, would you kindly shut the flip up? They shut up. 
They shut up. And also, I went and complained to the manager afterwards, got my money back, but still sat through a tedious film. You're out in the street, you see some people swearing, what do you do? Do you go up to them and tell them to stop? Do you walk on by? 08459 455 555, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, or you can send us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, 08459 455 555. Could be anywhere, could be in the pictures, you could be walking down the street, it could be at a bus stop, and you hear some people of any age effing and jeffing. Would you do something? I think it's quite brave to do it, but I have done it in the past, and I, w- I would definitely do it 100% if my boys were there, without a shadow of a doubt. Wouldn't make a big saying, just excuse me, could you uh, just watch your language, please? 08459 455 555. Maybe you've had it done to you. How did you react? We'll talk more after the news and sport with potty mouth Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Yeah, nice one, thanks for that. Your nan. Yeah. Avid listener. Yeah, didn't she just... Isn't she just? Thank you, Catherine. Naughty Nana. Naughty Nana. Morning, dear listener. This is... Oh, no, there we go. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. A busy, busy morning. Yes, my Nana's been on. My adoptive Nan doesn't listen to the show. If you missed it, I would thoroughly recommend going to BBC iPlayer, uh, going into about 6.47. Have a little listen from there. You can listen to the whole thing if you want, but I think that, that, that those 10, 12 minutes were particularly excellent. Lots coming up between now and 8 o'clock, including Hertfordshire Police announced job losses. It's all because they don't want to raise council tax. The Police Federation will be joining me on the show next. Would you be happy... To pay a few quid more, and it's about £5 a year more, I think, for extra officers. Laws to tackle aggressive bailiffs will be introduced next year. I'll tell you what they are and how you could be affected. How much sympathy have you got for people who get into debt? And you see some people swearing in the street. What do you do? Ignore them? Join in? Or tell them to stop? Well, just over half of people who witness verbal abuse will do something about it, according to a survey. If I was there with my boys, I would definitely, definitely say something, and I have done in the past. On my own? Eh, I'm not so sure. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, look, all the lines are free at this precise second in time, so now is an excellent moment to give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, 60 Hertfordshire police officers and 76 backroom staff look likely to lose their jobs as part of an efficiency savings package discussed last night. The commissioner defended freezing council tax and instead reducing police numbers. Well, um, Neil Alston is the chair of the Hertfordshire Police Federation, who represent police officers. Morning, Neil. Good morning, Ian. And uh, Ian Laidlaw-Dixon is the independent member on the panel. He's also the former uh, chair of the old police authority. Good morning to you. Ian. Good morning. Ian, you were at the meeting last night. Just sum up some of the main concerns you have after last night's meeting. Well, my main concern is that I cannot believe that policing in Hearts will be improved by the loss of 60 police officers and and 70 or 80-odd support staff. And it seems to me whatever you say, it is difficult to convince me and the public that that's the best way forward, particularly as the extra cost that anybody would have to pay to actually keep almost all the existing officers uh, in post is something less than 10p a week. It does seem to me it's an instance where a, a promise has been made in the election campaign, which is essentially foolish, which was to freeze the precept. 
But da- but uh, he, he has said the commissioner has said that the crime figures are down so much that it's ridiculous. We, we don't need as many police officers now. Well, we don't really know why crime's gone down. We don't know whether it's because our police have been very good at uh, finding criminals and, and uh, that deters others, or whether there's socio-economic factors which determine crime. What it does mean, of course, is that if crime goes up, in my mind, the commissioner is then bound to increase the number of police. But it does seem to be taking quite a risk with uh, the quality of life in Hertfordshire to actually reduce the number of police officers now. Neil, you weren't at the meeting, but do, do you think the force can cope with cuts to staff? Uh, we've been coping with cuts for quite some time now, the past two or three years. Uh, and, of course, the previous um, uh, police authority did freeze the precept for, for a couple of years as well. Uh, I think the issue is that people need to understand that policing is funded both locally and nationally, uh, and the need to increase the precept is is predicate because uh, there, there's a reduction nationally uh, from the money we receive from the government. Uh, yes, we are concerned that if you keep cutting police numbers, there will be an impact on the safety of the public in Hertfordshire. We've been cutting for a number of years. Uh, there comes a point when you can't cut anymore. But don't, don't you accept, Neil, that, 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 that there is no money? There is no money, and everywhere is making cuts. So why should the police be any different? Uh, I do accept there's uh, there's not as much money as there used to be, but of course the uh, police services used to fill in the gaps. Uh, when uh, public services are cut across the board, um, we tend to uh, end up uh, filling the gaps that are left by the cuts in other public services. So yes, uh, there do need to be cuts, but uh, policing ought to be last on the list because uh, we're first on the list when it comes to filling those gaps. Uh, is, do you think it's going to affect officer morale, Neil? Officer morale's pretty low at the moment anyway because of uh, changes to paying conditions, changes to pensions, uh, pay cuts that we've been receiving. Uh, this certainly isn't going to help. I- Ian, Neil mentioned pay cuts there. The, 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 am I right in thinking that it soon becomes that the starting um, figure for a police officer drops from, I think, 23,000 to 19,000? Is that right? I think Neil's better to answer that, but that, Neil, that was my understanding. Neil, th- 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 is that affecting morale as well? Um, uh, that comes in in April, but I, I think what's been missed, the, the, the 19,000 is a, a, obviously a, a, a slap in the face for officers, um, certainly for new officers, and, and it will deter some people from joining the police. Uh, but also, there have been, uh, we've had pay cuts as well. Ian, do you think David Lloyd has boxed himself in by not raising the council tax here? No, I think so. I think, you know, that when you make these promises, whether it's, you know, not to have a, have a referendum on Europe or to have a freeze on the council tax, you actually then have to live with the consequences of, an il- of a, uh, a decision you make, a promise you make for, for electoral advantage, which may have long-term consequences, which are, which are detrimental. And we're expecting more savings over the next few years. More cuts to staff? Well, I think, I think the way that this government has organised its finances of policing, I think that's probably inevitable. Neil, we've been asking uh, this morning listeners whether they'd be happy to pay uh, an extra few quid for more officers. Do, do you think that people would? Um, I think if people uh, understood the uh, uh, the likely impact, uh, this is going to continue, and there will come a point um, when I'm sure we'll have a clamour for people to say, I'd, I'd like to uh, pay some more because uh, I'm not getting the policing that I want or deserve. How does it work now? This is, we have until March to see if this all gets the nod, don't we? Yes. 
Um, I, I mean, I, I think it will go through. This is uh, uh, has been on the cards for for a long time. It's part of the uh, the chief officer team's controlled descent um, down to uh, eighteen fifty officers. Um, but uh, anything beyond that, I think we're really going to start to see that bite, and uh, people are start start going to see a reduction in the service that they receive. Neil, you represent police officers. David Lloyd, the police and crime commissioner, commissioner is going to be joining me in the studio just after eight. What one point or one question would you like to put to him? Um, I have a good dialogue with uh, with Mr Lloyd, uh, and we support his principle of uh, trying to draw in um, other agencies and make uh, make the most uh, that we we can of their services. Uh, the point I'd like to make to Mr Lloyd is um, uh, at what point do we stop cutting because it's going to impact on services? OK, we'll clip that and we'll play that out to him. Ian, anything you'd like to ask him or say to him? Well, I think I, the one thing I want to say that you, that uh, in terms of policing in Hertfordshire, we're now getting down to almost as many officers that we had when we didn't police um, Hearts, Moon and Broxbourne. Um, so with the uh, the, uh, uh, the number of people being policed in Hertfordshire have increased and we're now reducing the number of police officers. What I do want to ask David is uh, as to whether um, if crime goes up, um, which we don't, obviously don't want it, would he then start considering about increasing the number of police officers? OK, well, I'll, we'll play both of those uh, to him. And while I've got you on the line, uh, Ian, outsourcing, w- w- what's your take on that? My take in general, you've got to be very careful about what you outsource, and, and it seems to me that some things like payroll I really don't have a problem <coughs> with, but I do have problems when you start getting into the nitty-gritty like um, um, HR where with, certainly with policing, you need to have a very good grasp of police regulations to make sense of it all. And I can't see that Serco or G4S or whatever are going to be uh, able to do that. Neil, where do you stand on outsourcing? I think it, uh, I agree entirely with Ian. It's, uh, it's, uh, there are some bits that are appropriate for outsourcing and some that aren't. Uh, I do know that uh, uh, both the police officers and police staff who work for Hertfordshire Constabulary are proud to work for Hertfordshire Constabulary and want to remain working for Hertfordshire Constabulary and not for an outside agency. Neil, thank you very much. Neil Alston is the chair of the Hertfordshire Police Federation. Ian Laidlaw-Dixon is the end- independent member on the panel and the former chair of the Old Police Authority. Well, after eight o'clock, as I said, David Lloyd, the Police and Crime Commissioner, will be joining me in the studio. We'll play both of those questions. Have you got any questions for him? Are you worried about the, the cuts that are being made? If you want to have a question and, and, and put it to David yourself, you can do. Give us a call now. 08459 455 555. Uh, and uh, 08459 455 555. And we'll put the best questions. You can ask your question to David Lloyd live on the radio after 8 o'clock. How's about them apples? Quick look at the front pages, the Daily Telegraph. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. It's one of those pictures of the Prince of Wales. Trying, you know, trying to look hip. He's with some young people, and they're all. I believe that young lady next to him is is doing the gun gesture, isn't she? I'm not sure. They're all trying to look a bit street and a bit wise, and he just looks like a silly old man with tiny fingers. Um, Cameron's tax plans will stifle recovery. Um, teachers' r- jobs are at risk for opposing gay marriage. Um, and drivers hit with four p a litre rise in petrol. Hey, good good news all round there, guys. Huh? Good news all round there. Uh, the Guardian. Um, frozen in time. Earliest portrait, it was only 6,000 years old. NHS chief, stop playing politics with closures. Ah, dear. The independent. Um, uh, Lib Dems turn on Osborne over cuts. Clegg admits coalition made a mistake on economy as recession looms. George Osborne is under mounting pressure to slow the pace of his spending cuts amid growing fears that Britain could be heading for a triple-dip recession. Oh, the news just gets better and better. The Times... 
Women troops on march toward frontline combat. Armed forces set to follow US example by 2017. Women in the British military are likely to be allowed to serve in combat units after a groundbreaking decision by the United States to lift a ban on frontline female fighters. Uh, The Express. Now EU finds Britain £250,000 each day. Brussels takes revenge after Cameron's referendum pledge. The Daily Mail. Um, half of babies born to mothers over 30. Nearly half of all babies are now born to women aged 30 or older. The thing is, 30 isn't, um, isn't that old for a mum anymore. Early 30s isn't that old. It used to be. I mean, my mum had me when she was 22. Had my sister when she was 19, 20. Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, well, the early 30s isn't that old at all, is it? And the son have just just given up just given up really <coughs> the sum it's a picture of jordan getting married furious katie price has told how her wedding was almost ruined which one by a series of disasters at her hotel including a butler who asked are you a porn star well there's not much difference is there and then the sun exclusive on the front page hardcore porn Secret sex at top of UK's tallest building. Saucy couples are having sex 800 feet up in the air during tours of the Shard. Really? That's the front page news. Incredible. Now, if you or your relatives have ever felt threatened by aggressive bailiffs, then you'll be pleased to hear that there are going to be changes to what they can and can't do. From next year, they'll be banned from entering your home at night or where only children are present. New safeguards will prevent them from using force against people who owe money. They will also no longer have free reign to fix their own fees because set scales will be brought in. Well, we'll hear from the Justice Minister, Helen Grant, in about an hour's time. But uh, we can talk now to Brian Lacoche, who's a certified bailiff based in Bedfordshire. Morning, Brian. Good morning. How does the present system work? Is there a code of conduct? Very much so, and there has been for some years. And it um, very much reflects the um, proposed changes that are coming in. And the, um, uh, the, uh, the Civil Enforcement Association have been pressing for changes for some years, mainly because I think so many bailiffs um, uh, are doing different levels of work and not necessarily singing to the same hymn sheet. How will these changes uh, impact on your work? Um, Not greatly, actually, because by and large I I still uh, work within that framework of guidelines that are are about to be published. I mean, obviously I haven't seen the document. I saw the consultation document uh, when it was first issued and responded to it. So... Um, but there are, so, there are some naughty ones out there. There are some aggressive thugs doing it, aren't there? Uh, yeah, I'm bound to agree with you. I've seen the same TV programmes as you and most, most of your listeners. And I think it's the one bad apple. Most bailiff companies, large or small, would run a mile to try and avoid that type of um, uh, publicity brought about by the bad apples that exist. But there is, there, there does seem to be uh, a, the, the, an air of intimidation by the bailiffs. When they, when they come around, they're not, you know, all bringing you flowers and being polite. They're, they are after large amounts of cash. So that, that there is an air of intimidation, isn't there? Well, large and small. And I think, um, you know, you're using the word intimidation. I think there's a whole change in the, in the vocabulary about start, including the fact that bailiffs are certainly within the consultation document, being referred to as enforcement agents, which, um, being slightly old-fashioned, I'm not sure whether I agree with that, but that's another thing. Um, But um, uh, there is... um, The job that they do is one of enforcement, and um, uh, uh, that enforcement has to be carried out within the legal framework that exists, and so, therefore, 
there needs to be a legal framework that allows them to do their job properly and lawfully, and also mm. there needs to be checks and balances in place to ensure that if they do overstep the mark, that action can be taken about, uh, against them, and that members of the public and businesses who are visited by bailiffs know the procedures that they can undertake in order to uh, deal with any intimidation, as you put it. So, but maybe you can um, um, dispel some myths for me, Brian. If there's a back window that's open and there's a ladder going up to the window, the person can enter your house? I would say not. Uh, I, I think that would be improper. Um, but again, it's down to interpretation. So, oh, so hang on. So they might be able to enter your house through up, up a ladder and through a window? I would say it's down to interpretation. I would not do that. But some might? Uh, that's possible, yes. And, and, and they... I think it's, 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 it's the confusion that sometimes exists uh, yeah. both with bailiffs and also um people who are visited by bailiffs w- where some of the problems arise and um uh, hopefully the consultation document which will presumably go onto the statute book um will uh, dispel some of the myths and some of the uh, the confusion yeah. that's uh, that, that's around if a bailiff puts a foot in your door so you can't shut the door you can't ask them to remove that foot well, um, you can ask them to remove the foot. They don't I mean, have to. The bailiffs do have powers of entry, and the, cons- the consultation document is, is going to hopefully deal with uh, some of these um, uh, grey areas that exist, and so that both bailiffs and members of the public are fully aware. Well, is it, is it grey, though? Is, is it grey? If, if I'm a bailiff, I put my foot in uh, Mrs Smith's door, and she says, would you move that? I say, no, I don't have to. Is, 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 am I in the right as, as the bailiff with my foot in her doorway? If your foot is in, in, in her doorway and she wants you to remove it, I would remove it. But, but, but do I have to? there are other ways of dealing with it. OK, but you're obviously coming from the slightly more ethical point of view. Do I have to remove it? Uh, I would say yes. OK, by law. There, there is no power of forced entry. OK. And are bailiffs like vampires in as much as they can't enter until you invite them in, and then once they're invited, they can stay until they've got your telly? Well, um, yeah, I guess that's half right, because... Um, I mean, <laughs> the, the object of the exercise usually um, is to uh, recover money on behalf of which, uh, whichever no. agency that you're, you're working for. Um, and uh, the, the, the usual solution is that, that there is an agreement takes place and money is paid usually over a period of time with there being no physical removal of any assets. Uh, just a technical seizure, and I believe that will still continue. Um, and uh, my view is that the actual removal of assets is, uh, when assets are actually removed, nobody actually wins because they get sent to auction. Um, they're of lowish value, mm. and they don't recover sufficient money to recover the, the, the money that's owed. Um, so uh, I see um, bailiff or enforcement activity as a more of a management than an enforcement exercise. Brian, fascinating. Talk to you for ages. Brian Lacoste there, certified bailiff, based in Bedfordshire. We can talk now to uh, Annie Shaw, who lives in St Albans, and is the founder of the website cashquestions.com. Morning, Annie. Morning. How can people in debt avoid a call from the bailiffs? Because these, these things can kind of spiral. You miss, you miss a parking fine, so then it doubles, and then you've got to pay the bailiff's fees, and then you, you miss another bill, and it, it can kind of just get out of control quite quickly, can't it? It certainly can, and I would say that once you've got the bailiffs coming around, you are in quite a lot of trouble, and the best course of action is not to get there. Right. Now, we know that people have problems with debt, um, we, we're obviously in quite a, a bad economy at the moment and a lot of people have amassed a lot of debt, whether it's on their credit card or they haven't paid the fines or, or things like that. Now, the thing is to get help with that. There are lots and lots of agencies such uh, and, and free, such as Citizens Advice, um, the National Debt Line, 
debt change charity. These are all free debt counselling services. You don't have to pay anybody to, to get your debts sorted out, at least to get help with how you can start to manage them. So really, the, the, the best thing is, you know, prevention is better than cure. Don't let your financial situation get into such a bad uh, bad way that the bailiffs are actually called. The other thing you need to know is that you do not confuse debt collectors with bailiffs. Now, bailiffs do have certain rights, as your last guest uh, pointed out, but debt collectors actually have very few, and debt collectors will often like you to think that they are bailiffs and they can come around and take things away. So, but hang on, who are. is a debt collector then? What, do, what are well, they? Debt collectors are just really firms that they may be from a, uh, the firm, they may be sent around by the firm that you owe money right, to, but okay. quite often companies sell their debts on to professional debt collecting agencies. But they have very few rights and they certainly can't be entering your home. And indeed, nor can bailiffs unless you are, ask them in. So, know what your rights are. Don't ever invite any Anybody into your home, you know, if uh, you, you, you are, there are ways you can talk to them, perhaps over the telephone, through the, through the letterbox, in your home, yes, through the letterbox, perhaps, and certainly, yes, don't leave, don't leave ladders lying around because we know that some bailiffs will come in because they're allowed to have peaceable entry, and if they can climb in, they probably they might try to get. That away is with true, it. isn't it? I thought that was a myth, but yes, if there's a ladder and a window open, that that they counts. That counts they as peaceable. Can't break in. Yeah, they can't break in. They can't use forced entry. In that business about the foot in the door, they are transgressing the rules there. Right. Obviously, they, they may take forcible action, but they're not supposed to be doing that. That is against the law. But they can walk in. If you leave the door open, they can walk in. Wow. So do be careful if you're, de- if you're dealing with, uh, with bailiffs. Do you hear stories about, um, on your website, cashquestions.com, do you hear stories about, you know, the dodgy, slightly aggressive bailiffs? Well, I do, but quite often it is people who have got a lot of debt. And we do have to remember that people are owed this money and they want it back. Yeah. And there are, there are two parties uh, there, you know, who are, who are sort of fighting over the money. But we know that a lot of people who do get themselves into debt are very vulnerable people. And they're people who need help, not aggression. So, um, although, of course, the person who is owed the money will be wanting to take mm. all measures they can to get the money back, the, the, the interests of the people who owe the money need to be protected. And that's what these new measures are trying to do, particularly like where children are present, so that that babies can't be visiting when when there are children um, present, you know, because it could be a very frightening experience for them. Well, obviously, people should should try and sort these problems out as soon as they can. But as we've said, it, it's sometimes difficult because there's embarrassment to talk about it. There's shame. It spirals out of control. What advice would you give to someone who is being threatened with visits by bailiffs? Go and see one of these agencies, such as Citizens Advice right. or, or Step Change Charity, because they can help you. Because one of the things you can do to get rid of bailiffs is actually to start to repay the money. And, if, and they want their money, and they would much rather you made some plan to actually hand over at least some money than they had to go through all the business of court orders and, and uh, all, the, all the unpleasantness that might follow. So that, that should they, if, if you can come up with something, if you can pay just a little bit, that would be probably a, um, probably helpful to you. And the, the uh, lender is likely to be amenable to that. So go and get, if you're not up to negotiating with these people, go and get some help. They're, they're free services. They're there for your benefit. And I'd say, please don't suffer. Please don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed if you've got this problem. Lots of people have these problems. So, you know, you're just one of many, and you need to get that, you need to get that help. Annie Short from uh, cashquestions.com. Thank you very much. I wasn't sure about that. It turns out it's true. Open window. There's a ladder around the back. They can climb up the ladder and go in through the window. Peaceable entry, isn't it? Oh, I don't know why you would have a ladder near an open window. That, I would suggest if you're doing that. 
then you're a flipping idiot. But they can do it. They can enter like that. I didn't know they could just walk in if the front door was open and they come around, they could walk in. It's terrifying. I'm so lucky that I've not um, had bailiffs in my life. I, I had credit cards. I haven't got credit cards. I haven't had credit cards for about nine years. Nine years, because I, I got a little bit fruity with the old credit card. A little bit fruity. It's easy, isn't it? I'll put it on the credit card. And because I was, I was um, earning telly money, which, let me tell you, ain't bad. Uh, at the time, my credit card company just kept saying, hey, listen, listen, you're so, you're so good. We put your limit up to £25,000. £25,000 on a credit card. I know, it's insane. I didn't, I didn't, go, I didn't use that whole £25,000. But it got to a point where I was seeing these credit card bills and thought, this is just ridiculous. The credit cards were cut up and gone. Haven't had them from ni- for nine years. If I can't afford it, I don't buy it. I know that doesn't apply to everyone. That doesn't always work for everyone. I'm very lucky. But, uh, man, credit cards, they're no good at all. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. You're a mum. Yes. You're a bit common. <laughs> and you're from Oop North. Yeah. Right. You see some um, uh, young lads effing and jeffing at buff stop mm. where you're there with your little girls. What would you do? I do the mum face, but it's accompanied by an... Uh, I'm doing the, you know Martin Freeman in The Office? Yes. When he does a kind of raising of the eyebrows and a tilt of the head? Yeah. In the, in the direction of the kids, that's what I do. And I go, what? Eh! Do the noise again? Eh! Thank you. <laughs> Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's in the papers. A vicar got, got bashed around the head because he went up to a woman and said, excuse me, would you stop swearing, please? Uh, if you see people swearing in the street, what do you do? Ignore them, join in, or tell them to stop it? Just over half of the people who witness verbal abuse will do something about it, according to a survey out today. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call on that, I'd love to know if, uh, if you've done that. And also, after 8 o'clock, the Hertfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner, David Lloyd, is going to be on the show. He's cutting police officers because he's refusing to increase the council tax. Good idea or bad idea? Would you rather pay a few quid, keep the coppers, or do you want to save money where you can? Uh, if you want to ask him a question after eight o'clock, uh, phone up now and book your place. 08459 455 555. You can text in as well. 81333. Starting your text 3CR. Now, have you been watching Splash every Saturday night? A few weeks ago, we were laughing about it. It was the laughing stock of the nation. That was before I'd seen it. Big mistake. Schoolboy error. Don't criticise something you haven't seen. And I try and avoid that where possible. So I watched it. Oh, I love it. I love a bit of Splash, my new favourite show. Since it started, more than 200 people have signed up to learn to dive in Luton. Active Luton, which runs the Inspire Sports Village in Stopsley, where the series is filmed, says classes are full with long waiting lists. The council says it will be bringing in portable diving boards to meet demand. Well, we've sent our diving correspondent, Justin Dealey, down to the Inspire, Inspire Sports Village in Stopsley. Justin, what's, ha- what's happening down there? Well, it's, it's getting very, very busy because, of course, uh, today the pool is closed to the public, the main uh, Olympic pool here. So what's been happening since around six o'clock this morning? All of the production crew have been turning up and essentially... Uh, they are turning this pool into a TV studio uh, for the semi-final tomorrow. So we know it's had a massive impact locally. Lots of people have seen the programme uh, and they want to go diving. So I'm in the car park right now, but um, I was poolside a few moments ago. I was talking to Michelle Griffin. Now, Michelle is commissioning manager for Leisure and Culture at Luton Borough Council, and this is what happened. 
Well, Michelle, we are poolside. We're sitting on these famous red seats. First of all, tell us more about these seats. Well, these are the seats that the celebrities sit on when they first get introduced and while they're waiting to dive. And then after they've dived, this is where they sit, all wet. <laughs> Uh, and what's your role here? While Splash is, is taking place, what's your specific role? Um, I'm just here overseeing, ensuring that the site's looked after, that there's no damage done, um, and we keep the noise to the minimum for the residents. And so far, you know, there's been a little bit of noise outside, um, but with a lot of metal there will be. Um, but the crew that have been working here have just been fantastic and very, very careful. And how proud does it make you feel, looking around the, the pool now, looking at these facilities, knowing a TV programme is being filmed, here. How proud of Luton does that make you feel? I am so proud of Luton and the site itself is just amazing um, and the fact that we've got over 5 million people watching Inspire every week is just fantastic. They've made the pool look amazing. It's you know, it's absolutely wonderful for Luton. You're getting emotional, aren't you? I, I just think it's brilliant. And, you know, this is really positive for Luton as a town. And it's it's showing Luton in, in the light that it should be. It's an amazing place. I've seen that 10-metre diving board on TV from the top. It's very, very high. But you can't keep up for numbers here. Everyone is seeing the, the TV show and then wanting to go diving, aren't they? Absolutely, yes. We are at capacity now with the lessons here. And nationally, they're reporting that there's been a huge increase and people wanting to take up diving for all ages and you know we're at a waiting list so it's it is very positive and it, i think it's it's a really good legacy to come out of the olympics and the fact that luton could be part of it um it's it's fantastic can i just say i can rival tom daly in a pair of speedos uh, that's the first thing but you have met him what's he like He's brilliant. I have a lot of admiration for Tom. He's one of the most genuine people. Uh, he's how he does everything with his studying. He's got exams this week. You know, he's training constantly and also rehearsing. And, you know, he does spend a little bit of time with celebrities during the week, but not as much as people have been making out. And he's just fantastic. He's got a lot of time for everybody. Um, he's just a really nice person. Okay, two final questions for you. Who's your favourite celebrity? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, <laughs> I like them all. They're, they're Answer. All brilliant. Um, I think Linda Barker, because her dive was so good. Linda Barker, of course, on the programme tomorrow night. And um, just lastly, how much will you miss this when it's gone? A lot. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to miss the working over the nights, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a bit odd going back to the day job. But. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. Michelle Griffin there from Luxembourg Council. So as far as they're concerned, it's all positive. Uh, they can't keep up with demand for people who want to come and dive. And also, of course, new facilities on the way. Just one slight disappointment, Ian. Yes. Um, I did go out and buy myself a pair of lime green Speedos hey, for this morning. Beautiful. Which are very, very flashing. I think you'd enjoy them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I can't jump into the pool because oh. they're getting it ready for tomorrow. Oh, night. So that's sadly, I can't do that. So disappointing. But next week, next week, it's a guarantee. That's a, you heard it here, listen. It's a guarantee, and when the BBC guarantees something, we almost never deliver. Well, David Whiteley is the chair of North Beds Diving Club, which trains at the Robinson Pool in Bedford. Morning, David. Good morning. What impact has the show had on the diving club? Um, well, it's a, a similar kind of uh, situation to Luton, I think. We've had a lot of interest. Um, we're pretty much running at capacity as well. Um, but it's been good for our current divers because it's a bit more of an in inspiration. Watching something like that on TV kind of gives them a bit of extra motivation, um, similar to the Olympics last year. So it kind of spurs on the youngsters to do a bit more, enter competitions, 
Um, so yeah, it's it's great to see something like that. I love watching Splash. I do. I do genuinely think it's brilliant. I, I, for the love of everything that's holy, David, why would anyone want to jump off a ten metre board into a pool? Oh, I it don't looks know. ridiculous. Yeah, I've done it myself, but only a jump. Diving's um, a whole different thing from that height. But um, it's at Bedford. We've only got the five meters, so unfortunately, Good. some of some of the guys there haven't had the opportunity to do the ten meters. But yet. even the five meters is too high to be jumping into water. Yeah, well, we do get a, a couple of nervous ones when they first start, but we try and sort of build up the confidence j- um, gently, and then we. We build them up and get them off there eventually if it's something they want to do um it is pretty high it's definitely worse when you're up there though well uh, it's worse when you're up there yeah looking down yeah it doesn't look too bad from poolside but once you get up there and you know you've got to go off it for the first time it can be a bit um nerve-wracking i was going to say how do you psych people up for doing it i'm guessing it's not telling them that what how you jump off the five meters do you david yeah, I jump and dive off the five metres. Dive, so. sorry, that's what I mean when I say jump, I'm an idiot. I mean, you, let, yeah. me, let me ask that question again properly. You dive off the five metres, do you, David? Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> well, there's, there's something within the human mind, my human mind anyway, that will just not allow me to do it. And I've been asked, hey, if you did Splash, would you, would you, would you, if you were offered it, would you do it? Yeah, but it, I, I couldn't jump off a high board. Yeah, well, I think, again, it's down to practice. Yeah. I mean, you can obviously build up the boards because you've got the, the different boards at different heights, so you're going up a couple of metres each time. It's just practice, getting that confidence. And if, you, if you're told and instructed how to do it correctly, then there's not really that much that can go wrong. So as long as you're paying attention um, and you go for it, then you'll be OK. What's the youngest diver you've got? Um, in our club, I think it's uh, around seven or eight. Wow. So they, they do start quite young. There was a story in one of the papers, who, uh, a young lad who I think is four... Um, who's, who, who's been diving and was going to dive on the Splash show, but then, hey, those squares at Ofcom said, no, he can't, he's too young to do it. Uh, are kids that age, five, six, seven, are they fearless? Um, it depends. Some are, some aren't. Um, we do find some of our younger guys will go up to the top and they'll just hurl themselves off. <laughs> so um, it, it can be a, a hindrance the older you are if you do have a bit more fear. Um, mm. But it, it does depend on the diver, really. How important is Tom Daly to the sport of diving? Um, I think very important, especially with the recent success at the Olympics. Um, it's definitely kind of highlighted the sport a bit more. And because he's done so well um, from the, the previous Olympics, I think it's, it's definitely inspired a lot of younger people. How, how is the sport going to maintain the interest, David? Because this show finishes in a few weeks and, you know, it's inevitable that oh, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two after the show, people's interest will kind of wane, they'll, they'll find something new. What, what do you do to maintain the public interest in diving? Sure. Well, we do a lot of things locally at the pool. It, it's quite tough. I mean, we try and make it as accessible as possible. We've got the boards, we've got the lessons on during public time. So if people are coming in swimming at the pool, they can see what's going on. Um, we do try and advertise a lot internally as well. We've got the website, so if there is sort of a general interest in diving and people are searching the web, they should find us. You know, we've kind of got a good web presence, so we sort of rely on that a lot. And we, we do have general inquiries all throughout the year, but they are bumped up when we do have yeah. a sort of uh, I th- national... I think, I think you're mental for doing it. I really do. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. David Whiteley, thank you very much. Chair of North Bed's Diving Club. Tra- trains at the Robinson Pool in Bedford. Interested? Would you do it? I've been asked, would I do Splash? Uh, I, I he- yes, I would. I'll tell you why, because I hear those checks they write are very, very big che- I hear they're huge checks. I've not had the figures, but I've, uh, I've heard it pays more than dancing on ice, and that, that pays very well. So, yes, I would. I would hate it.
and I would do the... I would just just jump in the pool from the lowest height possible, take the cheque, and feed both of the children for a change. That's what I'd do. Would you do it? It, it does terrify me. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. The other thing we're talking about this morning is swearing. You're in the street, and you see some swearing. There's a story in the paper um, that a vicar got clouted because a lady was effing and jeffing, using indoor language. And um, he went up to her and said, could you stop that? And she walloped him. What would you do? Would you go and do anything? I have been up to people who have sworn in the street and said, uh, yeah, could you stop doing that, please? Got a dirty, dirty look. Um, but one guy said, yes, uh, of course. Uh, 08459 Uh Sharon on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR says, I will always say very loudly that there are children present if I hear people swearing, but you have to be careful who you say it to. Sometimes it can cause more aggro than it's worth. Yeah, I know what you mean. It can be a little bit dodgy. Uh, also, uh, uh, apparently at some point, we spoke to Catherine Boyle, the newsreader here, and she um, does a mum face. The mum face is going to go on Twitter very soon. A photograph of her mum face has been taken, and it will be on Twitter very soon. If you follow at BBC3CR, you'll get to see Catherine Boyle's mum face. Have a look at it. Let me know. Would that stop you swearing? Oh eight four five nine four double five. So someone swears in the street. You've got your kids with you, or maybe you haven't even got your kids with you. Do you go over there and tell them to stop, join in, or leave it? And just walk on and ignore it. Well, it's happened to me. I've done it a few times. Uh, the, the, the most recent time was in the street, and I didn't have the kids with me. I had one of them, and he was asleep. But I knew that they were being so loud and where they were positioned that it would be, you could hear it in the house. And I went up to these builders who, just every other word, effing and jeffing. I'm not a prude. I don't, I, listen, I swear, I think a well-timed F-bomb can be hilarious and very powerful. Okay? You've got to time it well. Um, but they, they, they were every other word. And I said, oi, excuse me, fellas. Could you stop that, please? There are kids around. And one of them gave me the skunk eye, and the other one said, oh, yeah, sorry, mate, we'll keep it down. And they did. We can talk now to Kerry Cooper, my favourite professor of psychology. Good morning, Kerry. Oh, good morning to you, Ian. Someone's swearing in the street, Kerry. Well, what's the best way to handle it? Well, I, I, you know, I think it's the context, isn't it? Like you said, what if you have your kids around or, you know, your uh, partner, spouse or everything, uh, whoever you have around you who you think would be offended or indeed you may be offended by it, by the way. Yep. Uh, if, if that's the case, I think you really do probably have to say something. Uh, otherwise, I guess most, most people would just walk by, wouldn't they? Is I it? mean, it's not going to change, isn't it? Let's think no. about it, Ian. Yep. Why are people swearing in the first place? I don't They're know. swearing Tell in me. the first place. Well, I think because they lead such frenetic lives. They're rushing around. They get frustrated really quickly. You know, this isn't the Britain that I came to 30 years ago. You know, we're kind of laid back, nine to fivers, a couple hours off for lunch. This isn't the kind of life. We become so Americanized. Yeah. We lead such frenetic lives. Everything frustrates us. Our standing in a queue frustrates us. It never used to. You know, not somebody not respond. So, uh, given all that kind of built-up frustration, a bit of anger thrown in, a bit of stuff that's going on in your personal life, incidentally, too, like yeah. you're worried about your job, um, you know, you're worried about the health of somebody, who knows what it is, but some problem you have in your life, and then you just take it out on somebody, you swear at somebody, 
or something, and that's what happens. So you could either just let it you know, go by you, or if there's people around you and it offends you, I think then you really should say something. You say, uh, listen, I can, I, I've sworn when I'm angry, and I don't like doing it, but I do do it uh, occasionally, but so you, sometimes you hear these, these kids at the bus stop, and they're just talking about a video they saw of someone on YouTube, and they're going, did you, and I'm going to, we, we've got young ears, so I'm going to tread carefully, did you flipping see that flipping you flipping tube video of that flipping idiot getting there flip, do you know, yeah, yeah, know. what's that all about? Yeah, but you're not going to change that. That's about a certain subculture speak, isn't it? Yep. That, that's a word that they use. By the way, in a way, you're not going to change that. So if, even if you went up to them and you said, hey, don't do that. You know, there are people around. You shouldn't be doing that. Are they going to change? Not really. And the reason they're not going to change is because in their little subculture of kids, that, that's the word they use, you know. Mm. And by the way, for them, that's not offensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in a way, that's just part of their speak rather than it being a really negative, heavy negative word for them. Do we it's, change... It's, it's just another adjective. Do we change with responsibility in age? Because I did used to swear a lot when I was a teenager, and I, I, I do still do it a little bit too much, but I don't do it in public, and my attitude towards it has, has completely changed. I'm nearly 40, and I'm a dad now. Is, is that... Do we change with those things? Well, that's a very interesting question, and, and I think you probably do, because in a way you kind of feel guilty swearing in front of kids, mm. right? You think, that's not what parents do. My parents didn't do that. I think a lot, uh, it's contextual, isn't it? I think a lot depends on what happened in your own family. As you get older, right, I think, funny enough, I think we start to behave, we hate, I hate this concept, but I think it's true, and I see, my, I see it in myself. I think you start to behave more like your parents. Oh, it's true, isn't it, though? And it's terrible, isn't it? So if they were the kind of people who didn't, as they got older themselves, then probably you won't too. And also you'll think to yourself, I feel, you know, I shouldn't really say that. You still do it because there are times when you get really frustrated and you do swear. Mm. You might feel really bad about it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I think it's about do you do it in public? Is it offending somebody else? It's all that kind of stuff. As a vehicle to get your, your aggression out, your frustration out, your anger, whatever it is that, that's causing you trouble in your life, and you're only doing it, in, you know, in, in your own house or whatever, Nobody else around, that's a different matter. What makes a swear word a swear word? Because I remember there was a period in my sort of late 20s, early 30s, where I was kind of the, the whole thing of let's, let's take back our swear words and we can, we, can de, uh, we can make them human again by using them freely. Well, why is a swear word a swear word and cause so well, much offence? I mean, don't you think, Ian, society defines a word as being a swear word, mm. right? So, for example, you talk about those lads that were by the bus queue, right? And they're doing flipping all the time, right? Yeah. Okay. In their culture, that's not a swear word. Yeah. Right? In their subculture. But you then come in, you hear it, and you get offended. Yeah. Right? And, and I think it's, about, it's just about that. We, we say the F word is a, is a swear word. There are certain words we, we just define as a swear word, which, in a sense, the society is saying there are certain things we don't like you to do in life, and there are certain things we don't like you to say, and it's offensive to other people if you say them. And it could be anything. It could be ding-dong. I could be, you know... <laughs> How dare you come on my show and be, say ding-dong, Carrie? You know, I mean, who can, you know what I mean? The, the point is, is that once the society defines yeah. it as a swear word, you say it, then you're being offensive. I'll tell you what's interesting, and we, we have to tread so carefully, because there are, there are young ears listening to this. In this country, um, the, uh, uh, I'm not even going to allude to it, the, you know the really bad swear word? Right? Oh, yeah. For the, the, the really bad one. No, uh, I know, I know which one you're saying. Okay, in this country... It's sort of almost acceptable in certain instances, whereas in America, that's if, if you if you say that word, oh, it, it, it's frowned upon incredibly. Exactly, exactly. 
And yet we, we, we think America's from the gutter and worse than us, but <laughs> they do have some standards. Now, now be careful here, please. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's I am not a, du- fall I am, out. I'm a dual citizen, so okay. it's okay. I mean, half of me will be offended by you. Okay. Uh, but no, no, to be honest with you, there, well, there's cultural words, isn't there? Yeah. And there's cultural actions. Like if you pick your nose in certain countries, it's extremely offensive in other countries, well... In, well, my, well, listen, my wife's half Greek, and uh, in, in Greece, if you put up your hand, as I'm doing now, just raise your hand. As like, so, so yep. a car's let you cross the road, so you put your hand up to say thank you. Yeah. In Greece, that's giving them two fingers. Yeah, well, see, there you are. The Greeks so are weird, you are. though. If you did two fingers, by the way, in the States, they wouldn't even know what it meant. They'd think it was a victory sign. <laughs> Kerry, listen, I could talk to you all morning. It's fascinating. Kerry Cooper, professor of psychology there. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So some words have a greater impact elsewhere. You see some people swearing in the street. What do you do? Are you going to say something or are you going to ignore them? Colin from Bletchley. Colin, what would you do? Um, I'd just walk on by and let them get on with it. Really? Um, well... I believe that being offended is a choice, uh, and what you're actually doing is giving the other person the weapon to hurt you. If you're not offended, you give them no power. It's like being upset by something. It's like stabbing yourself and blaming someone else for it. Well, hang on a second, though, because, because being offended, though, is, is not something you can turn on or off, can you? It's, it's, it's what, how you've been brought up. It's, it, it's, it's ingrained within you. It's part of your character. No, you can turn it off. I have. How? You can turn it off. By, by taking these things for what they are. Colin, you're an idiot, uh, and you're, you're ugly, and I hate you. Okay. Wow, you're good. How do you do that? You're like a Zen master. How do you do that? I'd have hung up by now. Well, no, because, because the thing is, I, I know who I am, I know what I am, and I know that whatever a person says to me, they can't change it. All right, hang on a second. Why should I be offended, why should I be offended by somebody else's opinion? All right, okay, here we go. Colin, I hate your mother and I hate all of your family and everyone in your family is just an idiot and they stink and they're even uglier than you are. Yeah, well, you wouldn't say that to you. <laughs> You're good, Colin. We, you, and I, you and I need to meet up. You need to give me some of this because I take offence <laughs> at the, the merest... Uh, at a sneeze, I'm offended. How have you taught yourself to do that? Uh, well, basically because I'm a Christian. And um, I've had a lot, undergone a lot of the changes because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's, um, I, I haven't got Jesus in my heart, you see. That's the ah, problem. Jesus doesn't live within me. When I, when I was young, I was victimised. I was picked on. I was bullied at school. And it's taken a long time for that to be healed. OK, all right, hang on a second. Life, I was paranoid. So Jesus yeah. is the most important thing in your life? Absolutely. So, so supposing, I'm, supposing I'm rude about Jesus and his ridiculous hair and his silly beard and I think he's an idiot, does that offend mm-hmm. you? No. Wow. You're good, Colin. <laughs> you're good. If you're, not, if you're not a believer, then you're not going to have a high opinion of him. Mm. Colin, listen, thank you very much, Colin from Bletchley. He manages to not be offended by having Jesus living in his heart. Jesus does not live in my heart. I'm aware of his work, and I'm a fan of his work. He doesn't live in my heart. Uh, I salute him, but uh, I, d- I don't have that. I, do, I Sometimes I get very envious of people who have uh, religious faith. Because you can see how comforting it was from Colin, uh, for Colin there to have that faith. I don't have it. I don't have it at all. Uh, I, but I bet it's good to have. He doesn't get offended by anything. Because he's got that. I do sometimes feel I'm missing out. I just, I just it would struggle. It would struggle with so many elements of it. 08459 455 555. The people are swearing in the streets. What do you do? Uh, on the JVS show later on today, he's not in this morning. He's still poorly. He, uh, fingers crossed, touch wood. He's back next week. David Prever is filling in for him. He wants to know, is there anything wrong with gay people getting married? We'll explain why. In about, he'll pop in about 15, 20 minutes and tell us why he's discussing that. 
Thank you, Catherine. Morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight. It's Friday, the 25th of January. Christmas was a month ago. It seems impossible, doesn't it? We're almost into February. Ah, dear. Onwards and upwards. Lots to, co- lots to cover in the last hour of the show, including Hertfordshire Police announced job losses. It's all because the Police and Crime Commissioner doesn't want to raise council tax. He'll be joining me in the studio next. What do you want to ask him? If you've got, got a question for him, now's an excellent time to call 08459 455 555. Laws to tackle aggressive bailiffs will be introduced next year, but do they go far enough? I'll be speaking to Justice Minister Helen Grant about why the measures are being put in place. And it's Friday, which can mean only one thing. We like to end the week with, the, with, with the, all the doom and gloom we discuss. A little bit of music. We've got a teenager from Apt Hill who's been doing rather well in the iTunes chart. He's going to be joining me in the studio. He's been personally recommended by Catherine Boyle, newsreader. So, if he's no good, she's out. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. And, of course, you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, 60 Hertfordshire police officers and 76 backroom staff look uh, likely to lose their jobs as part of an efficiency savings package that was discussed last night. The Commissioner defended freezing council tax and instead uh, reducing police numbers. Well, David Lloyd is the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire. He joins me now. Good morning, David. Morning, Ian. 60 officers. That's a lot to be going, isn't it? Yes, and uh, let's, let's be clear about that. Uh, although uh, everyone who uh, works uh, within policing in Hertfordshire has a role to play and an important role to play these aren't frontline officers in fact uh, we're increasing the front line uh, we're putting six more in the neighborhood t- team we're putting uh, another person into the cybercrime team right so this isn't about frontline officers going this is about how we're restructuring um, so that we are taking the savings remember we talked about having yep. to find over six million pounds worth of savings and that's being worked through things like collaboration uh, and uh, taking officers out through so where are these 60 doing. officers where so you, you say you're introducing six more uh, on the front line one more into the cybercrime uh, uh, department where are these 60 officers taken from then uh, broadly without going line by line through each mm. one um, broadly through that work that we're doing in terms of collaboration so the work that we're doing um, with Hertfordshire Bedfordshire and Cambridgeshire when you've got three forces working together you can take some out of those teams and similarly um, probably in the force control rooms mm. we'll be taking some officers there there are people who have important roles but back line roles rather than those out on the front line uh, out on the streets uh, policing and it's the ones that we're we're looking at are from the back line and from the more sort of senior management roles all the, but senior all, all the experience that these officers have got over the years you're losing all of that experience does that not concern you um, this is what you might call controlled dissent. Um, you know, if you think about uh, uh, the, the sort of people in policing, um, they are from a very wide uh, range of uh, age uh, and background. And so uh, actually taking 60 people out isn't a huge peak uh, that you're taking out. So not necessarily losing lots and lots of experience, uh, really just managing it in a way which might be termed controlled dissent. Can you guarantee that these 60 officers uh, being, being taken out and the 76 backroom staff, that that's, uh, that's not going to affect policing and, and crime? Uh, the Chief Constable tells me that it won't, and that's a very good guarantee uh, for me. Uh, Clearly, uh, we need to do it in a way that it won't. But remember where we are on crime at the moment. Uh, 
crime has come down since about 2008 by broadly 40%. So actually we're seeing a a real fall off in crime and that's really good news. The Police Federation say of course that these officers are still doing police work and it's still vital. Clearly they are employed um, for policing and they're doing police work. but what we need, what we need to recognise, is that financially we have to make savings. Uh, we've got to find uh, 35 million pounds worth of savings. Uh, if things are really bad, possibly up to 70 million pounds worth of savings. We don't know yet what will happen uh, in the, uh, the the next. So there round. could be more staff cuts. There, there certainly could be more savings that are needed in future years. But that's not what we're looking at this year. Okay. What we were looking at last night, and what we're looking at this year, is uh, this year's uh, budget. Okay. But, so, but but there could possibly be in the future more staff cuts to help with the savings clearly uh, we need to look every year at how many uh, people we need to ensure that we have a safe county Uh, i will continue to do that and to fight to ensure that we continue to have a county where crime is reducing and it's a good place to live and work Uh, you mentioned the the collaboration you don't quite see eye to eye with bedfordshire's pcc on things like outsourcing do you? you you're still planning to do that i uh, obviously, the the thing which is most important to me is what is right for Hertfordshire. Um, that's uh, why I was elected, and uh, Ollie and I um, will continue to uh, to chat robustly about what's the best way. Chat robustly, well, excellent way of putting it. Well done. Yes. Well, you know, um, you're still uh, looking at outsourcing, though. It's a possibility. Uh, certainly, we. Uh, I, I'm looking at what's best for Hertfordshire, and I think one of the best ways of uh, I- ensuring that we get an effective and efficient police service in Hertfordshire, and more to the point, reduced crime in Hertfordshire, is through looking at the private sector as well as the public. Sector. A G4S out of the picture now. G4S aren't out of the picture yet. The, um, we clearly will uh, need to come to some uh, conclusion on that, and uh, I'll be very happy when we've come to a conclusion, whether for or against, to, to come back and chat that through. Have we got a time scale for that, when, when those decisions are likely to be looked at and made? I think within the, the next month or so, well, okay. we, should have a, we should have some decisions. Now, earlier on, we, we had a couple of guests on, and uh, we asked what question they'd like to ask you. We had Neil Alston, chair of the Hearts Police Federation, the voice of coppers. He says he has a good dialogue with you, he but he, he asked you this. The point I'd like to make to Mr Lloyd is um, uh, at what point do we stop cutting because it's going to impact on services? Well, what's your answer to that? Well, Neil's uh, a, a very uh, good uh, and robust challenger of what I say and in a really positive way um, and he's obviously uh, um, been and, and is at the front line in, in policing. Um, clearly I'm only looking at what's happening this year and uh, it's, a, it's a very good question to ask. It doesn't mean to say that there's a clear answer. Right? I can't say that this year uh, we uh, is, is the very end of uh, uh, that controlled dissent. Clearly we need to look every year at what the budget is mm. on what income we've got and also uh, what is needed in terms of the, the crime capability. So be ready for more job losses. Uh, be ready every year that I challenge to see exactly how much money needs to be spent on policing in that broad crime reduction uh, piece. Ian Ladle Dick, uh, Dixon, uh, an independent man, uh, panel member, also asked this. We're now getting down to almost as many officers that we had when we didn't police um, Hearts, Moon and Broxbourne. Um, so if crime goes up, um, which we don't, obviously don't want it, will you then start considering about increasing the number of police officers? 
And again, uh, Ian is uh, well known. Uh, we've been colleagues for many years. He, of course, was the, the leader of the Labour Group and the former chairman of the Police Authority. Um, a time when he was there, actually, crime was 40% higher. Mm. So actually, in the same way as, uh, you know, if you were running a supermarket, you might well say that uh, if you had 40% less turnover, you wouldn't have as many people on the checkouts. Mm. Actually, you do need to, to look at everything. But so if, crime, if crime goes up, will you get more coppers well, in? Uh, first of all, if crime goes down by 40%, we haven't seen a 40% reduction in coppers. So to right. an extent, the question perhaps doesn't go quite as far as it should because what we've said is we've, we've put some headroom in there, haven't yeah. we? We've seen so that, no, you that fall off in crime, um, and that fall off in crime hasn't seen uh, an, an exact reduction. Because there are some people officers. who dispute the 40% uh, the figure, don't they? People will always dispute yeah. figures, and yesterday there was some uh, there was some chatter, wasn't there, about whether or not uh, these figures are exactly right. Um, I, I'm always uh, more interested in the direction of travel. I think most people would say that uh, we are living in a safer and safer place mm. with less and less crime. We've got a couple of calls. Well, Sheila and John, stay there. We'll go to you in a second. Just one more question for me. Earlier on, uh, we were told that you boxed yourself in by saying you wouldn't raise tax uh, in your election campaign. Thames Valley's PCC Anthony Stansfeld uh, is looking for a 2% raise. So is Bedfordshire's Ollie Martins, we've mentioned. The accusation is that you're forcing bigger cuts by not raising tax. Uh, that's not the the case. Uh, we've had a long-term financial plan, indeed. You know, it was in the the plan for quite a while that we would freeze uh, council tax this year, and I think that that is an important thing to do uh, when people are struggling because of the financial situation we're in. But people want to be safe, don't they? Yeah, and living in Hertfordshire, you are. Remember, in Hertfordshire, you are very, very unlikely to be the victim of crime. And remember, as I've said, how much crime has come down. So what I'm doing is not just making them safe through uh, crime reduction, but actually ensuring they don't have to pay more money out uh, for policing. OK, I'm just going to this slightly closer to you, it's going to quiet for some reason. We've got a couple Sorry. of calls. No, don't, don't worry, something on, on our end. Uh, let's go to Sheila in St Albans. Sheila, you're through to David Lloyd. What's your question? Good morning. Um, the idea of... Um keeping the council tax down. <coughs> um, is it correct to say that apart from your commissioner job, you are also on the county council and the local borough council? And if so, does this not sort of like you've got, um, shall we say, you're thinking of keeping the tax down because you're in the county council and then there's the police force, so who do you, who do you really bat for? Well, I bat for you, Sheila. I don't think that the uh, that you should have to pay more in terms of council tax. So uh, you're quite yeah, right. Yeah, but, I'm also but, on the council, uh, the county council, and I'm pleased to say that you won't have to pay more for that either. Yes, but if you're if you're sitting with the council and the council is saying we want to cut back, we want to cut back, and you say, oh, I think I can do this in the police force. Well, yeah, I'll help you out here. Should uh, you know? But then if you go and, and the police are turning around and saying we need more bodies, we desperately need more bodies, do you turn around to the council and say, well, no, you're not cutting my side because I can't. You know, this is what I'm saying. You know, well, if David, is there is there is there a conflict of interest? You, you working not, both bodies? Not at all. In fact, as as. Uh uh, I've said before and I'll say again, I think it really is very important that we bring public sector together, not drive it apart. And I think one of the problems we've got in public life is there's this almost an element, and I think Sheila just sort of said it, you know, batting for one side or the mm. other. No, actually, it's one council tax you're paying, and at the end of the day, it's one set of public services, and most people don't recognise those differences. So mm. I think it's really important uh, that we bring everything together as much as possible. OK, we've got John from Stevenage. John, you're through to David Lloyd. Good morning to you both. Morning. Hi, John. Um, as a taxpayer, 
A, I, I wouldn't mind paying a little bit extra on my council tax to have the streets policed um, to, to, to their nth degree. And B, sometimes when we've rung the police for a minor incident, it's been 48 hours before an officer's attended our house. What kind, of, what kind of incident? Give us an example, John. Um, my shed got broken into right. um, a few years back, and it, it was 48 hours before anyone turned up. What was, um, what was Nick from your shed? Nothing. I caught oh. them in the act and managed to sort of chase them down the road a bit, but they broke the lock and stuff like that. But that's immaterial. My question is, if we lose the amount of officers now to save money in the, in the short term for some short-term gain, if we need to replace those officers, should the crime rate go up and, and we feel the necessity to increase the force, how much is the cost to the taxpayer going to be to train 70 officers from scratch? So you think, Johnny, it could be more expensive in the long term if we get rid of some coppers to save some money now, uh, it, it's going to cost more money to then train new police officers? Can I first of all answer, John, because uh, I, I think that you made a really important point about uh, uh, police turning out, and let me just first of all concentrate on that, and then mm. I'll come back, because you'll remind me about the second part yes, of the Yes, I will. We've got, we've, got about, uh, we've got about a minute. So. Okay. So first of all, I don't think it's good enough uh, that uh, officers didn't turn out or didn't turn out in time, and one of the things in my police and crime plan is about that whole, what I'm calling customer service, that sort of John Lewis type approach, that actually anyone who calls in needs to get a, a, a turnout and a, in, in appropriate time. And uh, I have to say that uh, it has already gone up from under 60% people turning out from an emergency call mm. to 70%. So and just to move right on, direction. just we're running out of time, the, the, in terms of, of the, the, the cost in the future, if you do need to train more police officers, if the crime rate goes up? Well, we, we always have to uh, train officers when they come in. I don't think, actually, that that is the case, that uh, it will cost a, a great deal more. Um, I think that, actually, we, we never have a problem in terms of recruiting officers, nor, indeed, uh, training okay. them. And I think that that is... Uh, part and parcel of uh, proper budgeting for the future. David, lovely to see you. Thank you very much, David Good Lloyd there. Is, uh, thank you for coming in. 08459 555. You've heard what David is at to say. What's your opinion on it? Straight to David Prager. Oh, yeah, I know. On. Whoa, listen, you're here. I was leaning back there. You were relaxed. What's in your... I'm in a powerful chair. This is where the man in charge of the police was sitting just can minutes ago. Can you feel there's the power rubbed feel, off on you? I can feel, yes. I can feel David's power. Did David Lloyd rub off on you? Uh, no, he didn't. No, let's move on. What's, I, um, in, your, what's in your girl's yes, mug today? In my, uh, in my girl's <laughs> mug today... You have a very strange, tra the, the translucent mug that you carry it's with not, you. It's not. It's from a well-known high street coffee chain oh, that begins with the letter hey, S. Hey, I see. Nice one. Okay, yeah, what's in it? What's in it today? It's coffee. What else do you put in a coffee mug? You got me there. I was, I believe I was A little owned. bit of cognac at the bottom. I be, yes, I bet it was. Uh, what, what, what have you got this morning? Well, is there anything wrong with gay people getting married? I need some help on this one because I don't understand the arguments against. I've no. tried, tried to follow it, tried to come up with a uh, coherent reason why this, sh this bill shouldn't go through, but I don't understand it anymore. If MPs are discussing this today ahead of a free vote on the issue next month, and if the bill they're discussing passes, marriages could take place in England and Wales, allowing uh, religious organisations to perform uh, um, ceremonies if they want to do so but why not i can't think of one reason why not anymore and i've tried I've tried really hard yeah, yeah. so is there anything wrong with gay people getting married your thoughts and your views and your stories after nine on 08459 four double five five double five thank you very much across beds hearts and bucks this is bbc three counties radio 
Now, if you or your relatives have ever felt threatened by aggressive bailiff, uh, then you'll be pleased to hear there are going to be changes to what they can and can't do. From next year, they'll be banned from entering your home at night or where only children are present. New safeguards will prevent them from using force against people who owe money. They will also no longer have free reign to fix their own fees because fee scales will be brought in. Well, earlier on, I spoke to Jason Bailey, the author of the website dealingwithbailiffs.co.uk. He expressed his concerns with the change in the law. The only problem with it is um, it wants to introduce what uh, is in the Tribunal's Courts and Enforcement Act 2007 uh, and any 2012 consequential amendments which sets out rules on what bailiffs can and cannot do. Um, it also proposes to introduce a new regulator called the Bailiffs and Enforcement Agents Council. Now, the problem with the bill is very silent on what statutory powers this regulator is going to have. Because for any regulation to work, it must be either a government unit or a, go- or a body having statutory powers, much like what the Financial Services Authority is. And its functions must include the licensing of bailiffs, it must approve businesses and organisations that employ them, accredit professional bodies that represent them, it must also set the standards of conduct, monitor their performance, investigate complaints and punish failure for, uh, for failure to comply with those regulations and order redress where appropriate. But that is all absent in these new regulations. Well, that was Jason Bailey, the author of the website dealingwithbailiffs.co.uk. If you've ever had a run-in with the bailiffs, excuse me, frogging my throat, I'd love to hear from you. I've been blessed. I've been lucky that that's not happened to me. So I don't know what it's like. If a bailiff knocks on your door... What's it like? Is it terrifying? Have they been aggressive with you? Is there a chance they're going to be aggressive? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. In a few minutes, we're going to speak to Mike Dixon, who is the Assistant Chief Executive for the Citizens Advice uh, Bureau, as they were. I'm assuming they still are. Uh, But uh, right now, we can go and speak to Justice Minister Helen Grant. Good morning, Helen. Good morning to you. Do these changes go far enough? Yes, they do. We are bringing in these changes. We're very proud of them. We're pleased with them. We we think they will help many, many people, especially vulnerable people. And some of the the, the changes that we're bringing in include banning bailiffs from uh, charging exorbitant fees, um, using force against the person, and from entering properties if only children are present. How will you be able to enforce it? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? I'm, I'm, I'm losing you slightly. Hang on. Ooh, yeah. This is exciting. Helen, how will you be able to enforce it? Well, these bailiffs will have to be certificated, and th- that means they will have to be a fit and proper per- person, and if they're not a fit and proper person, um, then they will lose their certificate and they will not be able to act. And if they act without a certificate, then um, th- that is a criminal offence. There was a a voluntary uh, code of conduct introduced about a year ago. Uh, Are these proposals actually going to become law, or is there a chance they could end up as another set of watered-down guidelines? They are definitely going to become law. There we go. Fantastic. And finally, debt is stressful enough as it is. Will these measures be sufficient to bring about real change and prevent bailiffs still using illegal methods? Because there are all these kind of bizarre rules about you can enter if the back window's open and there's a ladder and things like that. Will, will, Will it curb all those silly things? 
Yes, uh, th- these changes to the law, uh, when you uh, look at what we're doing in relation to fees, certification and training, are very, very robust. And I'm quite satisfied that they will deal with most complaints. OK, listen, we'll, we'll leave it there because the line's not great. Thank you very much. We can go now to Mike Dixon, who is the Assistant Chief Executive for Citizen Advice. Mike, uh, we've heard about these new measures from the government. Are, are they going to work? Um, I'm with Jason on this. I don't think we've gone anywhere far enough. Um, so, um, lots of our clients, we get tens of thousands of people a year that come to Citizens Advice and say, I'm terrified because I've got bailiffs um, coming. Um, bailiffs, is, bailiffs are a bit like driving. You're driving down the motorway, there's loads of good drivers and there's the odd, um, terrible driver undertaking you on the left. Um, uh, bumping up behind you, being really aggressive. And I think that the problem that we've got here is trying to deal with those bailiffs while, while keeping the system working for everyone else that's doing it properly. If someone's got bailiffs knocking on the door, and obviously, you know, you'd hope you could prevent that from happening before it did, but you can't always. If someone's got a bailiff knocking on the door, what's the best advice you can give them? Um, the problem is that it's really, really difficult because there's about five or six different types of bailiffs and depending on the kind of debt, they have different powers. Mm. So the problem that we've got is the legislation that's being proposed doesn't clear that up enough. Um, it's still far too difficult to say, um, to work out how you complain about a bailiff. And the real problem with the proposals that um, have come out today is that they're just taking action against individual bailiffs saying you've got to apply to a court for a license. It does nothing about rogue firms that employ lots of different bailiffs. I mean, you have to kind of um, whack a mole with each bailiff at a time rather than going for the firm that is employing people recklessly. Oh, I didn't realise. So, so it's, it's the individual bailiff as opposed yeah. to the, the bailiffs incorporated? Yeah, and that's, that's the real problem that we've got with these proposals because it makes it very, very difficult to stop kind of bad practice um, it's a really cumbersome process to get any individual bailiff stuck off. So you have to go to the court. There's a much, much simpler option, which is just say, set up somewhere where bailiffs have to go, where they get a license, firms have to get a license, and if uh, they consistently act badly, then you take away the license, job done. Um, this is a really overly complicated, um, messy way of dealing with what could be sorted out quite simply. I, I, I would imagine that with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, as citizens' advice more and more people are coming in with concerns about debt and bailiffs and things are going to happen to them. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And um, I think one of the really big worries that people have got is looking ahead to April when you've got council tax changes and there are going to be lots of people that have never paid council tax before. Um, Those people will, uh, in lots of cases, um, come into contact with bailiffs when they've never done so before. And that is a really big problem. I mean, if you, if you look today, um, and if you're on Twitter, we're doing something called um, hashtag CAB Live, which uh, basically says, kind of tweets about all the problems coming into the Bureau of the day um, across the country. And if you follow that, you can just see how big a problem bailiffs are today. So what's that, hashtag CAB Live? CAB Live, yeah. Okay, and uh, if, if people, I've, I've been to Citizens Advice many, many years ago, they were wonderful. If people want to get in touch, yeah. they are worried. What, 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 how do they get in touch? Is there a website these days? About 12 million people use our website every year, um, about 2 million people call us, about 2 million people walk through the doors of their local bureau. So if you've got a problem, get in touch with us. You should never actually get into a situation where you have to deal with bailiffs. We can always help you negotiate a deal with your creditors first. So if you're sitting at home now listening to this, worried about bailiffs coming around, take action because you don't have to suffer in silence, you don't have to be worried. Mike, brilliant. Thank you very much. Mike Dixon, the Assistant Chief Executive for Citizens Advice. <laughs> I just realised I sounded like such an old man. You got a website these days? Of course they got a blooming website. It's 2013. Everyone's got... My mum's got a website. 
You've got a website these days. Yes, yes, we've got a website these days. 08459 455 555. Because I say things, and then I hear it a few seconds later, and you just think, what an idiot you are. Not that often. Let's not get carried away. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, well, well. What, what an action-packed 28 minutes of the show we've got for you. Action-packed. Swearing, swimming and music. I know, it literally doesn't get any better than that. In many ways, I should perhaps be apologising for that. 08459 455 555. You see some swearing in the street, like some kids, or maybe it's, it's some builders or whatever. They're effing and jeffing, using indoor language in an outdoor scenario. What do you do? Do you go up to them and say, sorry, whoa, hey, come on now. Huh? Let's, whoa, huh? Way, come on, stop that. Or do you join in, or do you walk on by? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, Splash. Remember, a few weeks ago, we were laughing, laughing at the the farce that was Splash, the diving show on ITV. Well, I I was criticising it before I'd seen it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant. It's my new favourite show. I think it's so exciting. I can't get enough of it. Oh, and you know what, Saturday? Semi-finals. Yes, I know. I'm going to be glued to the TV. There's not that much action in it, but it's made of it. I think Vernon Kay is a brilliant presenter. He gets uh, a lot of flack. I think he's, I think he's wonderful. He's good-looking, got great teeth, and I think he's funny and charming. That's what you want from a TV presenter. Well, since Splash started... More than 200 people have signed up to learn to dive in Luton. Active Luton, which runs the Inspire Sports Village in Stopsley, where the series is filmed, says classes are full with long waiting lists. The council says it will be bringing in portable diving boards to meet demand. Well, our belly flop correspondent, Justin Dealey, is at Inspire. Justin, what's happening out there? Hello, Ian. It's all happening here. Um, I've been here since uh, 6 o'clock this morning. It was pretty quiet. From around 6.15, all of the production crew started arriving. Uh, we also saw the portable celebrity chair changing rooms they arrived i'm still looking for the food mind you um so if i can find that hopefully in the next five minutes that will certainly suit me but um i'm in the car park as i look through to the pool here at the loosen sports village inspire it's all gone very very dark in there and the reason it's gone dark is because they are doing a rehearsal a hundred yards in front of me through the window i can see probably about 10 men wearing the tightest black speedos i have ever seen in my life you're living the dream justin (laughs) this is exactly what you you joined up for it's what i did join up for yes when i joined the bbc i'm looking for men in tight black speedos but you will see these men tomorrow night because when the show opens they do the, the, the this flash dive you get about 10 or 15 of them all together Brilliant. jumping off the board so they are rehearsing that right now vernon k i know that you love him i, I think he's brilliant vernon i think he's a great presenter he's going to be here with gabby from around midday today the celebrities won't be here today but they'll certainly be here tomorrow for the semi-final with the likes of omid jalili Antonia gogo linda Bar- and also Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Oh, you missed out that lady that we don't know who she is. Uh, well, yeah, forget about her. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I'm in the car park at the moment, Ian, but a few moments ago, I was poolside. I was poolside with David Jenkins. Now, he's the diving development officer at the Luton Sports Village here. We had uh, quite a long chat, and this is what happened. Well, David, first of all, what's your opinion of Splash? As a diving instructor, do you rate the TV show? Uh, absolutely. Um, it obviously got a bit slated on the first show, but I think the atmosphere in the pool with the, as part of the audience on the first show was amazing and it really has kept through the whole weeks. And on the TV, it's, uh, it's shown its potential now. We all know about the facilities here. They're absolutely fantastic. But what's the buzz like around this place since the TV show arrived? Um, amazing. I mean, me and myself and Harry Glover, who are the diving development officers here, um, we're actually getting involved in the show. So it's really, <coughs> it's really quite cool at the end of the week, getting involved in the show. And then during the week, all our lesson divers come in and, sort of, and our squad divers sort of <laughs> actually saying, oh, yeah, we saw you in the show. So it's, really, it's really good fun. And can absolutely anybody become a good diver? I've got my Speedos in the car. They're lime green. If I came to you, how long would it take you to turn me into a decent diver? Oh, um, obviously being an adult, you'll uh, you'll take a bit a short a shorter time than the, than, a, than a general child. But you've got to have a bit of raw talent to uh, to speed through the process. Um, but you know, a decent di- a diver, you got. I mean, at a national level, it could take you eight years. Eight years. And in terms of people here, have we got a future Tom Daly right under our noses here in Luton? Absolutely, we've definitely got a few uh, in our in our squads at the moment. And how exciting is that for you? knowing you could have a, a future Olympic champion right here in Bedfordshire. Absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it really motivates us to sort of do our job really well, and um, motivates us to come to work and and put really good effort. The first time you went up ten metres, I mean, I, I've seen it on TV. It looks absolutely terrifying. We can't go up there now because rehearsals are taking place. But the first time you got up to ten metres, how scared were you? Um, I'd done a lot of gymnastics before, um, and you know I, was, I wasn't. I'm not so scared of heights. So for me, it was okay. So manly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it can take a while for to, for us to get uh, get our kids up up to ten meters. Okay. And just lastly, who's going to win Splash? Who do you think is going to win this TV program? The semi-finals this weekend. But who's the winner, as far as you're concerned? I've got to got to put it on Eddie. He's got a bit of trampoline <laughs> in background. He looks amazing. He is just a legend, isn't yeah, he? Absolutely. Uh, and people that have not the program in the first week, when you think about Eddie the Eagle, he comes out. He's got all this charisma. He jumps off the board like he did. It's just great viewing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the sort of personality and uh, motivation we need in, in in a diver, really. And a bit like Michelle earlier on from Luxembourg Council. When this program's over, you're going to miss it, aren't you? <laughs> I know, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a bit dead around here, but yeah, it'll, be, it'll be really good. Have a great weekend. Thank you very Thanks much. very much. So the views there of David Jenkins. Uh, he's the diving development officer at Luton Sports Village, where, of course, Splash uh, is being filmed tomorrow night, the semi-finals. So all round in, a massive impact. People have not this television programme, but, of course, locally here, and not just here in Luton, but right the way across the country, yeah. people want to go out, and they now want to take up diving. That can only be a good thing, surely. Justin, you just go off on a very slight tangent yeah. before we go to our next guest. We've been talking about what, what you'd do if you saw some people swearing in the street. Mm. Would you say anything, or would you join in? Would well, you know what? A few years ago i certainly would have said something nowadays i don't know m- m- maybe it's me just growing up slightly i don't know but i think nowadays i might think twice because you're there you're there with your mum or your nana yeah. or someone like yep. that would, would you would you say anything then it depends where it is if i was in a restaurant or somewhere like that i would probably certainly say something but if i was on a train or something like that if you say something wrong to the wrong person you never quite know what's going to happen next and uh, and that's a negative attitude to have i know but what you don't want to do is put yourself and yeah. your 
family in a situation that that could be dangerous. Justin, you're you're a very a very wise man, Justin Daly. Who'd have thunk it? Well, carry on with the diving theme. Haley Sage competed at the Beijing 2008 Olympic Games. She now coaches diving at the Beaumont uh, Diving Centre in Welland Garden City, Hertfordshire. Morning, Haley. Good morning. What do you think of Splash? And be honest. <laughs> I think it's brilliant that um, we've got diving on telly, to be honest with you. I mean, I know I'm a bit biased being a diver um, myself, but um, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, on Saturday night, there's, in my opinion, there's not that much to watch. Oh, it's rub- <laughs> so Saturday night TV is rubbish at the moment, oh, isn't it? it's gone down the pan. It's awful! It? <laughs> so, no, it's brilliant to sort of sit down with your friends and your family and to just uh, put your feet up and to, to have a laugh watching it, really, as well, because it, it, it is quite funny, really. Yeah. I mean... Some of the guys are, are really great, like they're really training hard and they're doing some great stuff, but, um, you know, they're, they're quite novice, so you, you get a bit of a laugh from watching it as well, which is quite fun. Do you still get nervous going on uh, up the 10-metre board, or are you beyond that now? Well, myself, I'm actually, I specialise in a three-metre springboard. Oh, Hayley, the three-metre <laughs> springboard for girls. But, in my defence, it is very technically difficult because you've got the spring to deal with, yeah. you know, so, but I have been off ten metre myself. I've, I've done a few dives. Was it horrible, though? quite basic ones. I, wouldn't, I couldn't go, I couldn't even go up that high and look over the edge. <laughs> it is quite daunting. Now, if I was to do it, I haven't been up there for some years, I, I probably would need a bit of encouragement and yeah. have to build myself up maybe from the five and the seven like, like they do on yeah. the flash. Is the show having uh, an impact on diving? Are, are more and more people kind of signing up for it? Yes, definitely. I've seen quite a big interest really from, from lots of children that are, uh, that are signing up from by, uh, at Beaumont Diving Academy. Um, I've been a member there for 16 years now. I joined when I was 10 years old. Um, and really we cater for, for all ages as well though. I mean, our our oldest member, I think, is in her 80s. Wow, okay. So it's, yeah, we've definitely got a, a, more of an interest now, and also with, with boys joining as well, because I remember sort of 10 years ago when I used to train, there was a lot of girls that, that had more of an interest in it. I, I think maybe because it's got a bit of gymnastics in right. there as well and trampolining and things. So I think it was seen slightly more as a girls' sport, but it's great that more boys are joining now, um, obviously with the success of, of t- Tom Daly himself being such an inspiration really to the younger generation it's it's great there's definitely a huge huge interest now you've competed at the highest level the olympics how much dedication does it take to 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 become olympic standard um it takes everything you've got to kind of sacrifice and put certain things of your life in on hold like socializing and social side of diving you certainly have to kind of keep that to one side when you're training towards a, a big event um it takes years of years of hard work and hard training um so i competed in 2008 and started from the, the age of 10 so i've been training i had trained for years up to that point um for sort of hours a day as well you train for hours a day i trained six days a week like many other wow. divers do as well and um you do just just a lot of repetitions to to get confident with your dives and there's also dry land training there's trampolining weights conditioning there's a hell of a lot in there oh it sounds awful sounds awful Haley. (laughs) no it's brilliant it's great (laughs) fun it's great fun that's right at the very top you know like if you just want to come along and have fun and to try it out you won't be doing all that sort of thing it's just it's just getting to to learn the diving at the start and then as you progress it's you know whatever route you want to take but i chose to be mad enough to do it as a full-time athlete (laughs) You're, you're coaching it now have you got any future olympians under your guidance I um yeah I do do some coaching um I I mainly do 
the the very young um, beginners, so the very sort of novice, just to learn to dive more. So, so yeah. I think there could be some some talent in there. Some yeah, some great sort of. Um, some great kids up and coming really but because i because i coach some of the um the very small beginners you don't know until Aww. they start to do a little bit more and they've trained a little bit longer how, old, how old are the kids how old are the kids you're teaching um probably from about sort of the age of eight oh, eight fantastic. nine is the youngest Brilliant. and then up sort of to 11 12 yeah my fear yeah. one of my fears Haley, i don't like i don't like jumping in the water i like to climb in very very slowly at my leisure <laughs> one of my fears of diving in from a three or five meter board would be if my swimmers came off so suddenly you come up and yeah. you, you're, you're, your trunks are over there and i'm over there has that ever happened to you <laughs> have you ever had a, a wardrobe malfunction well, us girls are quite lucky. We have a, a whole swimming costume, yeah, you know. So yeah. uh, <laughs> everything. I think it's the gents that can lose them if they're not not. Um they're not sort of they haven't tied the trunks up properly you know no, that, no. that's definitely you want to get some ones with some strings in yeah definitely okay Hayley, well listen you've you answered that very tactfully thank you very much Hayley sage there uh competed at the beijing 2008 olympics now coaches diving at the beaumont diving center in welling garden city you're out in the street maybe with your kids your nana or just on your own and someone drops an f-bomb do you go over there and tell them to stop do you join in or do you leave it well, just over half of people who witness verbal abuse will do something about it, according to a survey out today. We can talk now to Peter Silverton, uh, who wrote the book Filthy English. It's all about everyday swearing. Peter, why such a filthy, sweary book? Uh, because swearing is really central to what it means to be a human being. It's possible even that we swore before we talked. What? Talked. It's, it's an expression of the deepest, most private parts of ourselves which are often violent they're often about sex mm. and they're often about, and they're about bits of our body that we don't like talking about um and they're also about what makes us us which is why one of the main trends in modern swearing is religious and racial insults which are mm. seen as much worse now than they were when i grew up um, there is an evolution, isn't there, of language, where some words fall in and out of fashion. For example, the, the, uh, the, the biggest, the naughtiest swear word of all time, which we won't even allude to, uh, <laughs> that was in quite common practice. It, there was even a street in London that was called that word. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was taken to where it used to be by the uh, a curator at the Museum of London. Yes. Able to point it out. What, what makes swear words become swear words, then? Why are there some words? It does seem odd. In 2013, I'm nearly 40, there are some words I cannot say on the radio. Yes, it is odd. Um, but once you understand that the, the secret of swear words is their power, yep. and it's the secrecy of them which gives them their power. If you could say it everywhere, it would cease to have that power. I mean, one example I'll give, it's a historical example, so you don't need to worry. Okay. Which I'm, is I'm the, hovering over the fader <laughs> anyway, just to be careful, but yes, okay. <laughs> Joan of Arc uh, complained about how much the British swore, yes. uh, and so she referred to us as the Goddams, because we said damn all okay. the time. Yes. And nowadays, that's not offensive. That's a category H uh, these days. We can get away with that on a breakfast show, yes. Just. Just. (laughs) It's the BBC. You know you can't get away with anything on the BBC (laughs) these days. The Daily Mail will be listening. (laughs) I used to work there, so I know. (laughs) But it's things like... Because if you say call blimey, go blimey. But that means God... Oh, what What on earth is going on there, Peter? Oh, oh... Yes, we... Tell your dog to shut up. <laughs> it's something, because it's evolution. God, God blimey means, literally, God blind me. And some people get offended by that. I've been on the radio and said blimey, and I've had, a, you know, text saying, don't say that, please, it's offensive. Yes, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, the, this is one of the 
definite trends in the last 20 to 30 years is the both the power of religious and racial swear words and for want of a better word the defensiveness mm. of the of the religious towards uh, what are seen as insults to their religion peter you see some people swearing in the street you're with i don't know if you've got kids or you're with your nana or something what, what would you do you'd, oh, you'd go and applaud God, them my... and write, write them down for your next book wouldn't you <laughs> yes i would do that i'd take notes um, but, uh, I, I mean, confronting people is a different issue. I mean, that is to do with, uh, violence. Mm. Uh, and it, swear, swearing can be violent. It's not always violent. I mean, people use it between us, between groups of people to swear. Yep. And, it, and it's a bonding exercise in, in a way that you possibly, I'm not saying you do, but it's possibly there's a level of swearing in your office that you wouldn't do on the street together. Catherine Boyle. It's Catherine that, Boyle, yes. <laughs> the newsreader, potty mouth. That's very, very different from what you seem to have witnessed, which is, which is upsetting. And also, know. let's be honest as well, Peter, a, a well-timed swear, uh, swear can be very powerful, and it can be, it, swearing can be funny. It can be funny. I mean, the, in the thick of it on television, it was one of the funniest shows ever. Without swearing, that would not have been the same show. Yeah. Also, swearing can be very unhelpful. There's some fantastic experiments done in Leicester, I think, where they got people to stick their hands in icy cold water and either pretend swear or really swear. And the ones who really swore, as opposed to the ones who only pretend swore, using words like flivity gibbet, yes. um, they felt the pain, the pretend swear, is much quicker than the people who really swore. Brilliant. It does act as a, some kind of catharsis for our emotions. Pete, listen, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for biting your tongue. Peter Silverton uh, wrote the book Filthy English. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday. Oh, it's the weekend. What better... Listen, we've, we've dealt with all kinds of serious stuff. The, the police officers losing their jobs, all kinds of nonsense. Let's lighten things a little bit, shall we? We'll have a little bit of music, and we've got uh, Jack Neville. Jack Neville. Uh, you, Jack, how old are you? Uh, 17. Oh, let me turn... Let me let, try that again with the microphone on. I'm 17. Oh, I was 17 once. <laughs> Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I wasted it. You've already got... A, you've had a song that reached number 19 in the charts. In the uh, singer-songwriter charts on iTunes, yeah. How, how, how did that happen? Very good question. Um, I, I got signed to a label a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, they said, oh, let's, let's get a single out. So, yeah. so I, I recorded a song and put it out expecting probably 20, 30 people to download it. And yeah. it, it kind of went a bit, a bit mad and ended up, yeah, 19th in the single So you must be a multi, multi-millionaire by now. Uh, <laughs> that, that, would, that would be lovely. But, what, who, who are your influences? What kind of stuff do you listen to? Um, I'm, I'm a huge Frank Turner fan. I don't know if you will have heard of him. but um, was, was he in the Beatles? No. He, he wasn't. No, no, in that case, um, I don't know him. I'm also a huge Coldplay fan okay, as well. Okay, okay. Now, uh, uh, you, you're, you, you were recommended by Catherine. Catherine Boyle, the uh, potty mouth newsreader here at BBC <laughs> Three Counties. There's a lot of pressure on you to be good. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. There's a lot of pressure on you. Um, your mum has, has also has, has been quite influential. She's got video evidence of you singing as a, a young one, has she? she? She does. She has video evidence of me singing before I could actually talk. Which uh, well, it was it was humming the Barney theme tune. To be fair, but well, there are worse songs <laughs> you can do. Listen, you have a guitar. 
What, are you going to play us a song? I am. I'm going to play you the uh, single that is on iTunes at the moment. OK, let's, away you go, sir, in your own time. Yeah, thank you. Yes, have <laughs> some of that. Catherine Boyle, your job is safe. Well done. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, now, when you go out and, and play, do, do you, are you playing gigs and stuff? Uh, I am occasionally, yeah. And do you do it on your own? Have you got a band? What's uh, the I, deal? I, I do do it on my own, but I'm um, looking at setting up a band too. Drummers. Drummers, they're always the problem. They're always the hard one to find. I, I'm a drummer myself, so yeah. Really? I can... I can relate to that so you could be a singing drummer there are a few that have done it mickey dolenz yeah. phil collins phil collins and that's about it it's not really yeah, yeah the, the, not. the best thing so what's what's the plan then how do how do you want this to pan out um the plan for now is this is exclusive for you guys but my uh, next <laughs> come on it's exclusive for us guys my uh, next single is going to be out on the 25th of march there's going to be a video out for it on the 20th of march right um and also, I'm going to be releasing my first album in the summer. How does that work? You're 17. You make me sick. You're releasing an album <laughs> at the age of 17. Uh, I will be 18 by the time it comes out. But then, in that case, I take it back. You don't make me sick. <laughs> uh, and if, if people, they can buy that song you've just played on the they, iTunes. They can. If they just search my name on the Jack iTunes Neville. search bar. And yeah, it should come up. Uh, and I'm assuming, you, <laughs> of course you've got a website. It's 2013. What's your web, what's your web address? <laughs> uh, www.jacknevillemusic.com. Uh, what do you want to happen? You want to you be a big star? You want to win a Grammy? Uh, uh, that it would, it would be incredible, I, I guess, yeah. It would be amazing. Yeah. But. Okay. Well, do we know what the album's called yet? Uh, we, we don't. We're, uh, but if you follow me on Twitter at Jack underscore Neville and facebook.com forward slash Jack Neville Music. I saw you tweeting the Dean Doris the other day. I, she's a big fan, yeah. Is she? She, she is, apparently, yeah. She's really? Been, she's, been, she's been incredible with getting this wow. first single out. She's been tweeting the it Dean to, Doris? Yeah, all her famous friends. The MP? So, yeah, she's been sending it to people like Fergal Sharkey. And, really? Yeah. And, well, good for yeah, her. She hates I us, guess. but good for her. So well done for doing that. <laughs> hey, listen, really nice to meet you. Thank you very much for coming Thank in. Thank you very Excellent much. Excellent stuff indeed. Right, that's it. Well, there we go. This, this, this gravy train is slowly coming off of its wheels as we approach the weekend. <laughs> it is, let's be honest. It's Keep the going. weekend. I've got a lovely drive to Gloucester now, which I'm looking forward to immensely. Back on Monday at six o'clock. JVS is off poorly, but don't worry, you're in the capable hands of David Priva. Until next week, ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian, and the team for a great week of shows. Fabulous stuff there back Monday morning.